Hello and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 23 of the Cana Rinse Podcast. Our planned series of Metal Gear specials begins in 1987 on the 8-bit MSX2 series of computers with the very first game in the series. We'll also be discussing in full the 1990 sequel, Solid Snake, as well as browsing some of the many MG spin-offs, which for a variety of reasons won't be getting their own issue of the podcast. Joining me, Leon Cox, on this issue, Tony Atkins. Hello. James Carter. Hello. And special guest, Ready Upper and Metal Gear superfan, Paul Rooney. Hello. be joining us for all of our Metal Gear shows over the next few months if uh, if, if that all works out nicely that would be cool uh, so Metal Gear then we all played this uh, well James Tony and I all played this recently yeah. I assume you didn't have an MSX2 computer Paul back in 1987 no I didn't know to be honest I have no idea what one is I've never seen one in the wild I've never played with one so no. Yeah, so definitely not. It's worth saying. A lot of people have said to me, uh, while I, you know, when, I, when I've tweeted about recording this show and stuff, people have said, "Oh, you're playing the the NES, the NES version of Metal Gear, no. right?" And no, there's 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 all kinds of reasons why we're not. Firstly, we don't have NESs, and there's no way of playing that. It, uh, as as we all know, because we've done our research, the NES version was a was a kind of terrible port. Um, they messed up a lot of subtle gameplay things like after you just things like after you take a hit you, in in the original MSX versions you get a little uh, breather before you can be damaged again whereas in the NES version you can just have your life bar completely one shot sapped kill, pretty much. yeah one shot kill um, there's uh, various sort of changes the 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 trucks um, now I know I realize a lot of people listening to this will be uh, probably came yeah. came in at the Metal Gear Solid stage, and and that's quite. We've all been doing the calling Metal Gear Metal Gear Solid because it's it's now synonymous. But we are talking Metal Gear. Um, there are trucks, if you remember from um, Metal Gear Solid on on uh, Alaska. Uh, the the trucks that you get in get into a box and you get transported around shortcuts. Those are in the original Metal Gear, but in the original MSX version they take you backwards they're a shortcut for the backtracking in the game of which is a signature thing especially in the second game um but in the nes version they made it so that they take you forwards so you get into a truck you get transported sort of a third of the way through the game to a place where there's loads of stuff that you haven't got the equipment for yet so <laughs> stuff like that just just really idiotic changes and and uh kojima hideo kojima of course creator and producer of the whole series has gone on record as saying that the, the, the NES version was a was a balls up um, yeah I mean, so they, they extended they put an extended intro sequence on so it doesn't start even at the same place so if you start watching oh, some gameplay right. footage it looks different at the beginning immediately yeah um, there's a confusing maze section um, yeah. I think that, uh, something like there's four people parachute in in the intro as well mm. so mm. it's not even about I mean although you never see these other guys again in the game it's not just Solid Snake, it's this whole it's the, group the of... The Foxhound squad, yeah, I guess so. essentially. Yeah. So, 
Dig there's also another base, isn't there? They put in a, a kind of secret base you've got to get into, and Kojima said basically he still hasn't been able to find a way to get into it. All right. It's so broken. Oh, and of course, and most the, famously, the, yes. Uh, yeah, the, the, the fact there's no Metal Gear in it. Metal Gear isn't in it, yeah. That, there's slight oversight. <laughs> Which is kind of bizarre, yeah. It's a supercomputer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously the NES, um, the the MSX2, without sort of going into the very dry history, was a was a kind of a chipset, and uh, different people manufactured these computers. Um, didn't take off in America uh, or the UK. Did okay in Europe and the, and Japan. Made people like Toshiba and Sony and Sharp made these MSX compatible computers. Um, and they were actually quite powerful. And the other thing was that Konami made these fantastic cartridges which had uh, hard hardware augmentation on them. So the game you were getting, um, you know, in the same way as like the uh, Starwing on the SNES had the FX chip in it and, and Mario Brothers 3 on the NES had sort of performance enhancing bits in the cartridge itself. These Metal Gear cartridges had stuff that would, you know, kind of augment the power of the MSX so the these were you know good looking games for 8-bit and things like uh, a machine like the NES just wouldn't have necessarily been able to handle the the large sprite that was Metal Gear um, not without you know significant recoding so they just removed it and <laughs> put, a, put a big screen in it instead a big computer makes uh, no so sense bizarre. bit of a do disaster you know was, do you know what was quite interesting is the fact that um, Kojima, when he first he he studied like economics and then he went into the video game industry. Uh-huh. And then when he first started with Konami, he had made this his first game for like I think it was like six months or something, and it was a complete failure due to the fact that he had no idea what these cartridges were all about. He didn't realize how they were composed or structured, mm. memory limitations and whatnot. So basically, his first kind of year or so <clears throat> at the company was a kind of dismal failure. And apparently it got to one point where like everyone was saying, you know, they weren't coming up to him and patting him on the back or, or anything like that. They were coming up to him and saying, you know, get a game out before you die type thing. <laughs> because he, he at, at that point, I think, uh, the dates allude me, uh, 85, mid-80s, something like that. Right, he, he was pretty much a laughingstock of Konami, of his floor, of his business or whatever. Right. And, you know, if you can imagine working in that kind of situation... It's kind of quite intimidating, you know, and then to go on to create what we all know yeah. he's done, you know, it's quite staggering. So, very much from, from kind of humble beginnings. I found that quite an interesting thing because I always think of Kojima as being this unique genius, all this. But, you know, thinking back, it was a time where he was really, really struggling. Yeah. You know, it must have been incredibly difficult for him. Yeah, real strength of character. Yeah, definitely. That time in, in Japanese industry, you know, yeah. you can imagine how difficult it could be. So. What I want to know then is um, the NES. Obviously, a lot of I think a lot of people played that because when we were first talking about the show, a lot of people said, "Oh, you playing on the NES?" Yeah, no, I mean it was it. crucial to the success of Metal Gear, and and Kojima does acknowledge that. But but even I mean even though I had very little knowledge of these these games, certainly back when I was growing up. But uh, you know, in the future times, I remember Metal Gear Subsistence and, and the way they done that. But um, even then, I I remember people saying, "No, you have to play the MSX versions. They're the true ones." So it just it it's bizarre that the, I would imagine the NES version has actually sold. In you know, greater quantities oh, than yeah. the MSX ones did. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a messed up version of it when you actually yeah. go back and watch the screen side by side. Yeah, it's could, Kojima basically said that this game has haunted me since, it, mm. since it's released. Did he have no involvement he, at all then? Zero. He had neither involvement on any of the, the NES games. No. It's worth, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what happened as regards to the second NES game and the, the true sequel that we did play, or half played for some of us. Uh, we'll also get onto that. Um, 
but the story goes that uh, yeah he had he had he had very little to do with um with it at all if any well nothing but the 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 the, the sequel on the NES which is a totally separate game did influence the return of metal mm. gear so so yeah it was crucial in a way despite it being despite a his bit, hatred yeah. a bit broken <laughs> yeah so uh going back to 1987 i was already a very very keen gamer at this point 15 years old um didn't have an msx2 or access to one they were only available in import or, or in continental europe um but i was playing at this point in the arcades games like uh, contra also by konami Grisor, uh green beret also by konami things like this um and uh, you can see that as well as uh, Metal Gear uh, having a, a sort of strong arcade adventure uh, you know, item usage uh, and, and puzzle solving element, it's, it's also very much got its roots in arcade shooters. But again, the story goes that, talking of hardware limitations, that uh, Kojima was brought in on an existing project with Metal Gear. Um, and it was in production as a more traditional top-down arcade-style shooter but uh, Kojima wasn't happy with the limitation the small number of bullet sprites you could have on screen at any one time so to counteract that he made it more of a sneaking game uh, make it it sort of thereby possibly not inventing but certainly popularizing the stealth genre Um, starting to play it I certainly you know the the way that the the first game sounds it you know it sounds like a, a a Japanese game from the mid 80s you know mm-hmm. it's it's not sort of remarkable in the way that his games sort of became and in fact you know it's interesting as, as we talk about the second game you can sort of see as that game goes on more and more of the sort of uh, the little Kojima ideas that trappings of the whole series are yeah within that I mean there's plenty of things in the first game that that do come up again and again in Metal Gear uh, you you have a gas mask to stop you uh, dying of asphyxiation there's a remote control missile that a lot of people will remember from mm-hmm. that great sequence in Metal Gear Solid uh, you've got cigarettes as part of your default loadout um, you've got little tins of rations which make almost exactly the same sound effect when you eat them as in the later games crazy uh, bosses stupid names crazy bosses with stupid names <laughs> although I'm sure that I was looking up on the, the Metal Gear database on the PS3 which is a, a bloody handy thing for what we're doing this year mm-hmm. Um and I noticed that uh, the names for the bosses of Metal Gear in there are the ones that appear, uh, understandably, on the subsistence compilation and the HD yeah. compilation. So you've got Shot Maker, Machine Gun Kid, Fire Trooper, Dirty Duck, <laughs> Dirty Duck, yep. um, and uh, I, you know, I not Coward Duck. Coward yeah, Duck the, originally. That, that was the original the, one. Yeah. The new translation is is Dirty Duck. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and, right. um, I thought that was a play on Howard. The it duck. was. Yeah, I, I would yeah. imagine it probably oh, was, was it? first time round, and then they changed yeah. it. I yeah, it was really bizarre. Yeah. Both yeah. these games have both uh, official and fan translations. The official ones, things like um, they've obviously done stuff like um, in the first game. There's a uh, Colonel Campbell. This is towards the end of the game. Is um, this is this is a first little glimpse at the sort of fourth wall stuff that that he he's, Kojima's sort of become famous for. Uh, in the original game, Colonel uh, Campbell's saying, "Turn off your MSX." Turn off, uh, turn, yeah. and whichever version you're playing now, it will say PS2, Xbox 360, or PS3. Stuff like that, which is really cool. But it yeah. was a neat touch. It, yeah, it caught me off cool. by surprise. In fact, because um, I mean, that's almost a, a trademark of, of 
the whole Metal Gear Solid when they do stuff like that. But I, I didn't expect it to be that early in the in the first game where they actually mm. would have um, kind of brought that fourth wall. It seemed too early in game development to actually be going down that route. And there's quite a lot of it in the second game actually as well. There's a lot yeah. of references to uh, video games and yeah. MSX and mm-hmm. playing of video games and that sort of thing. And, yeah, Doctor Marv. Um, and yeah. game designer. It literally says, "Think about what the enemy or game designer would do." You know. Mm. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So I guess the thing that strikes well, the thing that struck me first, um, and I remember this being an issue when I, I first played uh, another Konami game, Suikoden, on the PS One in the mid '90s. I can't walk diagonally. <laughs> like even. 15, 20 years ago, that was uh, a bit of a culture shock after years of being able to walk in eight planes. And, you know, even even in 1987, it wasn't like games would only let you walk in four directions. There were plenty of eight-way scrolling games at this point. So the fact that Snake can only walk in four directions is a bit of a shock. But obviously the game's kind of built on grids, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, so what were people's sort of... Uh, well, um... Paul, when when did you first play this? In when Subsistence came out, or before? It was, yeah, that's right. exactly when I played it. Yeah, so going back, okay, we're going back sort of six, seven years. Uh, what what were your first experiences? I think it was a bit of a shock because I I'd, I'd thought of Metal Gear as being, you you know, the sights and sounds, the sound of the exclamation mark coming up. The the alert phase was the first thing that actually grabbed me. The fact that there, there wasn't an alert phase in the first one. No, that's mm-hmm. right. And um, the diagonal thing as well, really really annoyed me you know I couldn't I found it really difficult to adjust and perhaps a bit I don't think I ever did adjust so I couldn't really get sunk into the, the kind of that world you know of that kind of guilty kind of retro guilty pleasure kind of retro world you mm. know I couldn't really get into it because there was so many limitations and it just didn't have the you know the kind of feel the sounds the audio the, the graphics and all that kind of thing of what I'd known Metal Gear to be so um, especially the first game, I found it very, very difficult indeed. But you did play through it. Yeah, yeah. Just for your own amusement, or did you want to see? You know, was it was it what we're doing? Sort of the same thing as what as we're doing here, which is to sort of understand where the series came from and all these tropes and traits. Yeah, like, you know, I, I get into the lore and the world and the characters and the, the extremely convoluted plot of Metal Gear. So I was going back, and I think I'd pretty much known all the characters and, and everything that had happened because of the other games, you know, on either side of it, so um, it was it was mostly just the sheer joy of having subsistence, you know, mm. that was the first time I'd played Metal Gear Solid 3, yeah. I'd played I'd played the, the the first version of it, and the lack of first person, I, I literally couldn't progress because it was it was that difficult, so it was subsistence when I'd gone oh, back really? to Oh really? Okay, it. so the, yeah, the Snake so Eater was too problematic? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd put a lot of time into it. Like, I loved that world. I loved everything about mm. it. But I, I think the fight I stopped at was the Ocelot fight. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't want to talk too much about those games because we'll, we'll go on to mm. them. But um, it was basically having finished that and and having loved Metal Gear Solid Three so much. It was like the almost as if the the sheer joy and enthusiasm I had for that made me kind of stick through the MSX games. Right. Do you know what I mean? The, the kind of the afterglow, if you will kind of made me yeah. stick through it in the sheer fanboyism mm. of wanting to get, to get into it but um, I, I, I didn't enjoy it a huge amount but it was interesting to see you know where the, the game's been yeah. and how, where it's, how it's um, progressed so much uh, How old were you when Metal Gear Solid came out Paul? Oh 
in 15. Right. Did you get it? Were you a fan of that at the time? I was, yeah. I loved it. That was my, my first Metal Gear game. Yeah. And um, I actually got stuck it a bit because I'd rented it. Because back then, you know, games were pretty expensive and I was relatively mm. young. So, you know, the bit it told you to look at the yep. back of the, the case. Yep. Yeah, I didn't have the case. So <laughs> yeah. I, that's I went a, up that's to a feature. The news agents to get magazines and stuff like of that course. to find out the codes. Yeah, no internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, the internet was there, but most, we didn't have it mostly. Um, yeah, I mean, that's another that's another thing that features in all games. You know, I remember when, when that game came out, and of course, for most magazine reviewers and most of us playing it, this was our first experience of Metal Gear and that was like a whoa when when it says on the back of the CD case it actually means on the back of the CD case um, but this again we're, the, these are these are things that Kojima had already done in two previous games um, you, there's a there's a, a, a code conversion table in the second game and um, yeah it says you know there's a picture on, on the box of the frequency you need to speak to me in and stuff like this it's, uh, yeah it's um, surprising but one of the other things which I remember being Metal Gear Solid being criticised for a lot of the time, there's a there's a lengthy backtrack uh, after uh, Sniper Wolf gets shot down. Oh, by the way, we're going to spoil <laughs> Metal Gear games. <laughs> um, I haven't played them all myself yet, so I won't I won't be able to spoil Metal which Gear. Which ones are you missing? I haven't played Metal Gear Solid Three or Metal Gear Solid Four. I've only okay. un- until recently I'd only played. Uh, Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 2 I've played 3 but not to any great degree yeah I'm the same and I, I've done them all apart from 3 I, I did about halfway through 3 but obviously we can cover that one once we get to 3 but uh, I found that quite it seems to be the one you know, having read on forums and Twitter people playing through this HD collection 3 seems to be the one particularly the, the subsistence version that people really love well yeah, I mean, it's like Paul, it was the camera. The camera was just yeah, a yeah. nightmare in and, and the first release. And um, I think I did mess around with subsistence a little bit, but I, I you know, as, that came out quite late, didn't it, afterwards? Yeah, it was It was uh, the generational um, shift. Yeah. Uh, it's already moved. Yeah, it was one of those. So See, This is really weird for me to hear because the first Metal Gear Solid game I played was 3. And ah. I got not terribly far in it was probably the first boss fight to be honest because the first encounter with Ocelot's not a boss fight um, it's mm. just a cutscene so it was the first boss <laughs> fight I got to probably um, and it really I just didn't think it was for me at all okay mm-hmm. wasn't enjoying it um, so I guess my first proper encounter with Metal Gear that I really stuck at Paul's going to hate me for this um, was actually the digital graphical graphic novel <laughs> on the PSP um, because I knew I had uh, a copy of Snake Eater and I wanted to see the story and just catch up with the story and then start with three, but couldn't get through three. And then I played all the way through four, um, enjoyed it, but didn't really get as much from it as fans mm. of the series did. And a lot of the, uh, I, I guess at the time I would have called it a cultural difference that some of the sort of wacky, convoluted um, behavior of the characters and the way the story turns just wasn't really hitting with me. Mm. Um but now, at this point, playing these two games is, is the start of me playing through them all because I think my tastes have changed over the past couple of years mm. enough mm-hmm. that I'm able to appreciate it a lot more. And so playing through these, I actually see, contrary to what uh, you were saying, Paul, I see a lot of Metal Gear-isms in there that really strike me as being, you know, aside from the fact the gameplay looks a bit different and plays a bit different, um, it, it clearly is a Metal Gear game to me 
in almost every way and you know being able to only move in two directions and the top-down view those just feel like sort of tropes of the time if you like and all the stuff around it all the story stuff and the character stuff feels perfectly like Metal Gear to me in as much as I've played it so it's odd um, coming to this one with me as, as well because uh, we, okay, we we set out. We said okay in the, in the meeting we're going to cover all those games, and we obviously can't do it in a singular show, so we're going to spread each one over one a month. And it, it seemed like a good idea. And we had that conversation. Well, most people know where the start place is, you know, and, and that's Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> and then we're like, no, 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 we're going to go all the way back to the very start. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, yeah, of course we're going to go back to the very start. How would we do this any other way? And then the realisation that I was actually going to have to play these very early <laughs> games uh, like slowly started to sink in. And, and that, you know, in, in uh, Paul, I think you'll understand this, I think the Metal Gear uh, Solid series or the Metal Gear series as a whole is actually quite an intimidating series from, um, you know, certainly somebody looking from the outside. And even though I'd pretty much played all the games apart from three, which is, is crazy because it seems to be the one that most people say is the best, um, I still get a, a tad confused of who is what and who is where and who is Big Boss and so I think everyone does to be honest Kojima probably does as well yeah. it's exceptionally <laughs> it's so difficult so I mean what what was nice so I fired this up and, and I was like I said slightly apprehensive of what I was going to be facing because I had this conversation I can't remember the last time I played what is technically an 8 bit game mm. Um, and certainly played it to completion. Now I've I've messed around with my NES a lot, you know, over the years. But I've never I don't think I sat down for more than like two or three hours with a particular game. You kind of dip in, mess around with a few emulators, a few ROMs, and you never really take something that serious enough to get through it. Mm. Or at least I don't. Um, so I I I found my time with one really really actually quite enjoyable. Mm. Um, I was put off right at the very start because because obviously it's a very different looking game top down. Um, but it, it's also I don't know, it's something very classic. Something it, it, Like James said, it still actually feels like Metal Gear straight from the very start. The character kind of has similarities, even though they're pretty hard to pick out. Um, and the music, it, although it's it's clearly, I mean, it doesn't really carry on throughout any of the other games, certainly from Metal Gear itself. Um, it's a catchy tune, and eventually it will wind you up terribly because it's the one. There's, I think there's about two tunes. There's only a ha- there? yeah, there's a handful of themes in the first game. Um, obviously, yeah. cartridge space was very limited, but they're 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 nice sounding chip tunes. You know, they're they're mm. they're a, they're a decent quality um, mid to late eighties chip tunes. But yes, but it, there's not enough of it. But it took me about an hour. Uh, the, the first hour I found really hard, mm. difficult. I get getting used to the, the four way kind of directional control stuff and. Um, you know, there's lots of little tips and tricks I think we can explain, but after about an hour, it really felt like it was just a Metal Gear game I was playing, <laughs> and, um, like, and and that's really important because I think the idea of this um, that we had the conversation actually with um, uh, Josh, didn't we, where he was doing the quick rinse and he was like, oh, they're very hard, like good luck with that, mm. and I said, are you not interested where the roots are? And he's like, well, we can read and, and find all that stuff out, but I actually think these games are, are really important to go back and play for those roots because yeah. they are your first introduction to characters that will continue throughout the entirety of the Metal Gear saga. I think this is one of the things we, we want to establish over the next hour or so is whether people should brave this you know this undertaking of going mm. back or should they stick with the database and the interactive digital novels and the wikipedia and youtube and whatever is it actually worth playing these games yes <laughs> okay right no why, expand please do um what i would say is at at the point of me starting this in terms of metal gear i would say i'd had a rocky relationship with mm-hmm. a couple of the games 
respected a lot of what they were doing but was very frustrated with some of the um the way the themes were presented and the the sort of overly convoluted plot and it is very convoluted but it's it's overly convoluted in places and it seems designed to be so and i found it very difficult and the fact that i mean in terms of 8-bit games my history with them almost basically starts here because hmm. At the time, I just hadn't played that many of those sorts of games in late 80s, early 90s. And so I kind of feel like if I can go back to them and have a moment like I did last night, which is, as far as I'm concerned from my experience with Metal Gear, the pivotal moment in the entire series, all the solid games and both Metal Gear games, happens at the end of Metal Gear 2. And everyone knows it who's played these games, and yet... I just saw it and for all of the graphical quirks and the way it looks and you know the fact that there's no dialogue in terms of spoken dialogue mm. it's all on screen and yet I was affected by it the way I was shows that for anyone who may be who may count themselves as a fan of this series and hold up you know Metal Gear Solid 3 as as the masterpiece many consider it to be to not play these games seems to me like you're missing out that At said, the end of the game, what what bit are you what bit specifically are you talking about? Um, well, f- it's basically, spoilers basically free, I think. yeah, yeah. I suppose spoilers, spoilers clear, so might as well get into it now. Um, Snake facing off against Big Boss. Because right, right. at this point, okay, had I played it in 1990, I wouldn't have realised the significance of those characters. Mm-hmm. Now I do. You know, I've played through Metal Gear Solid Four, and I know most of the story that happens in all the other games almost all of the story that happens in all the, in the other games. So I know who Big Boss is. I know who Snake finds out he is, you know, r- relative to him. And that moment, although at the time it probably didn't seem it, but now it really does seem like it is just a really pivotal moment because you get all of the themes of war and how it changes people and how there really aren't any sides to it, if you like. Um you get all of that in that last fight and literally you are walking around an arena with no equipment trying to survive against this this unkillable essentially given you thought you'd killed him in the first game and and now you're trying to kill him again in the second game he seems like an unkillable um not not just a real presence in the game and for an Mm 8-bit game with all of its hurdles playing it now sort of you know 20 well, thirty no twenty years later, twenty two years later, um, is t- to be able to do that. I thought was really something special. Now, bearing in mind that was at one o'clock in the morning, I was quite tired. It may just be my emotional state, but that's what it, that's what it evoked for me. So that sounds like most people's um, journey with Metal Gear. Anyway, it's like one o'clock in the morning. They've over overrun a cutscene. Two yeah. sort of forty five <laughs> minutes. You should have gone to bed ages. But why did you? You know, just going to carry on. I mean. You're not the the only person to ever have that experience at one o'clock in the morning one of these games. I think we should uh, rewind a little to the start of the first game again, just mm-hmm. because, um, apart from anything else, uh, of course, Big Boss in the first game is your Big Boss. You know, that's kind of, and mm. you know, presumably that's where his name came from. And and at this point, we don't even know if Kojima had ever decided, you know, how much of this convoluted law he he had in his head. Oh. Because I, I would suggest not very much. The first game feels pretty much like an 80s action movie sort of tie. <laughs> you know, it, it could be a, a, a Schwarzenegger, you know, Predator Commando type thing. Um, Rambo, obviously, is a big influence. It doesn't feel like it's going to be particularly a, a philosophical or spiritual piece. Um, 
See, I, I slightly disagree with that as okay. well. Uh, be, because, I mean, you say, okay, you could have been a Rambo type. I mean, Contra and stuff, that, that to me is that kind of Rambo-esque yeah. technique. In this, it's it's. I mean, the boundaries are set up pretty quickly. Although it's fairly easy to escape, um, you know, because there is an alert system. Essentially, you just need to go to the next screen to mm. to get out of the uh, you know the alert phase, um, which they kind of fix in the second one. Yeah. Um, the, it does encourage you right from the very start to actually take a more of a passive role. Don't try to kill people. To you know, evade uh, evade people. You know, move past cameras. Try not to have uh, alert phases. Although you know, you can move from screen to screen. It doesn't feel like your normal. I'd still killed uh, over five hundred people by the time I finished Metal Gear. <laughs> But you you can see the genesis of it of it being it. It doesn't necessarily just feel like one of those games of the time where it is just point pointing the general direction, shoot everything. No, on screen. I, and the shooting's pretty terrible, even by mm. uh, and the, you know this is obviously why Kojima took it in this direction. You know, compared to games even sort of Commando from 1984, uh, three years previously, the the slightly more powerful hardware that Capcom had at their disposal in the arcades allowed for more bullets on screen, eight way movement, faster scrolling, and all that stuff. So it was, again, I think it was more of a hardware consideration than it was a, 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 an intent to tell a particular story about the pros and cons of war. But but then that's no bad thing. I mean, that, no, that, no, it's, no. It sets the series off in its own unique direction. So yeah, absolutely. Like I say, limitations sometimes are a positive thing. Yeah, they definitely can be. Yeah, from yeah, necessity is the mother of invention and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, we're not. I'm. I'm certainly not going to be able to tell listeners the whole Metal Gear story and we're not going to try but I think just for context that's why we got Paul in yeah I mean that's partly why we got Paul in but for context this game is set in 1994 it's set 30 years after Metal Gear Solid 3 um, and it's set in a in a, a little uh, independent state formed off the coast of South Africa mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. right it's a little a man-made is it a man-made island it is, yeah. Outer Heaven. Outer Heaven, yeah. Mm. It's it was designed actually in the in the events basically of Peace Walker. Um, wow. In the okay, Big Boss formed the Militaire Sans Frontier, which is uh, the military without borders, yeah. um, to be a kind of a kind of autonomous uh, regime, autonomous kind of place basically that is that would work with the war economy and be kind of self-sufficient in a way not and be answerable to any any master type thing so they, yeah they created this kind of out of heaven and is yeah south africa and then um, that was a uh, big boss naked snake who who made that who is the uh who is solid snakes uh boss in the beginning of the first game mm-hmm. <laughs> I confused myself there. No, you're going well. It's, good. it's all good. Some of this okay. we don't know at this point. Imagine if you were playing Metal Gear in 1987. There's some of this stuff you wouldn't know, but it's all canon well, now. We're, know, we're basically yeah. we're going to talk about all the canon games other than Portable Ops, pretty much. So yeah, mm. go for it. So yeah, that's that's when the, the mission starts. Yeah. Uh, Solid Snake is sent off on his one-man sneaking mission yeah. into uh, Outer Heaven to well, rescue Grey Fox. Yeah, word has got out that they have nuclear capability, and not only do they have nuclear capability, but they have portable nuclear capability, mm-hmm. and that is a, bi- a bipedal nuclear weapon that is capable of launching a nuclear device from any terrain. Yeah, which is basically in every uh, single Metal Gear. Yes, game. like the Shagohod from Three and uh, Rex and stuff like that. They're all that's the main threat. Yeah, and Grey Fox, 
was sent by Foxhound. <coughs> excuse me. Grey Fox was sent by Foxhound to infiltrate um, Outer Heaven. Oh, I keep on saying Mother Base. Outer Heaven. That's what it's called in in Peace Walker. Um, <laughs> and he then gets captured, and it's then uh, Solid Snake's job to jump in yeah. and save the day. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of uh, again things that like for most people we you know we all, we'd all played the original Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation first and uh, yeah. again you see that he actually or the, the team actually recycled almost locations the way they're laid out and stuff very similar mm-hmm. um, particularly in the second game there's a there's a basement that's full of items in the same way there's big areas with tanks sort of sciencey lab areas um, mm. it almost feels like uh I don't. I don't know if Kojima's ever gone on record of this, but particularly compared to the second game, Solid almost feels like a polygon remake of Metal Gear Solid. Two, uh, sorry, Metal Gear Two, Solid Snake. Um, and more so in Metal Gear Solid Three, actually. Right. See, if, when, when you do get to play mm. it, um, there's there's a huge amount of of um, similarities between the two, right. and not just in, in enemies, the way you approach the game. Um, different situations you find yourself in, like the one you're with Natasha mm-hmm. and uh, Snake and Natasha are having a one-to-one, and um, that's very similar to what happens in Metal Gear Solid 3 as well. And the area is all very similar for me when I'm playing Metal Gear Solid 3 again on the HD remake. It felt very much like almost as if Kojima was trying to merge the two MSX games. And this is the game he wanted to make right. was Metal Gear Solid 3 because it is actually uh, remarkably similar. Even the, the the transmitter, there's a bit in, in oh, is this his first one or the second one? First one. Where you're the first one yeah. where you're captured and you're you they've planted a transmitter on you, and you have to unequip the the transmitter, otherwise an enemy will appear on screen. Mm. Yeah, you will look guards exact, around you. Yeah. Yep, it's the exact same thing that happens in Metal Gear Solid 3. The plant when you get jailed, the um, Plant a transmitter in you, and you have to cut it off. And if you don't cut it, cut it out. Sorry, if you don't do that, you're basically ambushed in the next area by a, a whole bunch of dudes. Yeah, I mean, there's, so it's remarkably similar. There's stuff, as I say, there's a lot of item manipulation. There's a lot of stuff that we would probably now refer to lazily as Metroidvania stuff. Um, <laughs> even though this 1987 Metal Gear came out just a year after the original Metroid, which actually had less of that stuff than Super Metroid did, which wasn't out for another eight years after Metal Gear oh. One. But um, having played a lot of British arcade adventures, as they were called back then, where it was about navigating from flick screen to flick screen and finding an item and then taking it somewhere else and using it so I'm even talking about the ultimate games you know the the isometric ones or Starquake uh, things like that um, particularly in Metal Gear 2 doing s- the, the one thing that this game does that I'd definitely never seen before was the, the sort of using of items in completely ab- well, abstract I don't know if abstract ways but abstract ways within the context of the game so it's kind of like lateral thinking isn't it yeah exactly yeah yeah um, like cigarettes producing smoke to show laser beams yeah. yeah stuff like that yeah um, and then taking a cigarette before you parachute jump because you're scared of heights <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of scary but um, I, I want to ask you guys I mean how do you judge a game like this because there, there's part of me that tries to look at it from you know, the at the time point of view, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you, you try to examine the gameplay. You know, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I think this is probably ahead of its time, certainly in, in setting up a new kind of stealth genre. 
Um, at, at the same time, you can't help but have 20 odd years worth of gameplay experience and, and kind of look at some of the design choices and, and go, what were they thinking? Um, and I don't know whether you know I can class that as negative towards looking at something like a Metal Gear or Metal yeah Metal Gear One. Um, you know, should you look at it at, you know that deeply, or should you just go well you know maybe at the time, or should you have that overall knowledge of maybe well other games at the time were doing things a bit better than this, and, and maybe you can have those criticisms now. To to appreciate the importance of of Kojima, I think, and his his vision and and just how much he achieved. On such a on such restricting hardware, I think you definitely have to look at content. At the games that uh, Leon was mentioning, you have to look at what was going on, and, and the concept of stealth back then was just crazy. I think when Kojima uh, went went to get the game green lit, they're like, "You can't make a game like that. What you you're, you're actively avoiding it? No, that you can't you can't have that. You know." And he had the he had the balls to to go ahead with that, and massive kudos. So I think. Well- Playing them now, uh, you have to appreciate. For me, that's that my biggest takeaway from those two games, is the fact that they exist and it's quite amazing. The fact that they were made. Well, what I want to highlight is is, is more. I mean, I I really do appreciate the stealth sections, but there's a couple of game design choices which I find at the moment, you know, now in this day and age, quite infuriating. Mm. Uh, one would be the save system, which yeah. I think we'll all have a, a discussion about because it's probably you know amalgamated in different different directions since the first game. But also, there's some pretty bad instant uh, failure state deaths. Um, and yeah. Because of the save system, yeah. you you know you you'll find yourself doing 20 minutes of game um, and if you haven't necessarily got past what would be a checkpoint going back 20 minutes having to repeat that same section of the game and bear in mind you died for a reason and if you die again you go back 20 minutes I found myself in a couple well, of well also situations. worse than that and this is something that you haven't got in games since probably the ni- maybe the early 90s um, and I, although I, my Metal Gear 2 game bugged out as we'll talk about in a bit um, th- I don't think there are any full uh, catastrophic fail states in Metal Gear 2 but in this game if you accidentally execute any of the POWs you can't complete the game oh really I didn't, oh, I didn't know that <laughs> uh, well that's as I understand it right so the first game has this ranking system mm-hmm. uh, so you get uh, up to four stars there's um, POWs hidden all over outer heaven yeah. uh, the more you collect the higher your health bar goes and the more ranking stars you have now, oh, and someone won't talk to it, you, right? Exactly. Yeah, 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 that's right. They can't, it's not Natasha, is it's it? The, whichever, yeah, whichever the woman is in the first game. Uh, Holly? She only talks no. to high-ranking yeah. officers or whatever she that's, says. That's right, yeah. So, uh, of course. If you, and if you kill a POW, you lose a ranking star. Uh, um. And it's very easy because, you know, the shooting is quite imprecise. Uh it's very easy in a room to just take somebody out. Obviously, you know, if you do that, you need to go back there and then to whatever your last save was. Now, the the way that the the version that most people, if they do play this, will play it is that is uh, either on PS2 or PS3 or 360, and you can save whenever you like. But the save still only works as it would have done inputting a code on the original game, which it takes you back in the first game to an elevator, or in the second game to a blue screen. Uh, not a blue screen of death, uh, a sort of loading screen. Yeah, loading screen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the 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 there is it is possible to catastrophically lock yourself out of the rest of the game in Metal Gear One, which is. See, I'm, see. I'm really curious, James. You, you said uh, you weren't you didn't play very many kind of what we'd call now retro games, right? Yeah. How how did you find going back? Because now you're used to quick saves and and checkpoints and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. How did you find going back to play those games? 
Well, that's the that, thing, actually, because um, I think there's only one point I can think of in the first game where you're likely to kill a POW, and that's when you've got three of them in a room and there's a boss mm-hmm. in between them that you oh, have to yeah, take out. Right. I yeah. killed one of the POWs, and I uh, now you say that, Leon, I actually noticed I lost the rank. And I thought, right, okay, clearly I'm going to reload because I'm not losing that rank. Mm. I didn't know what the consequence would be if I didn't, but it just was instinctive to me, okay, I'll reload. And I worked out how to position myself to take this guy out. Yeah. Um, in terms of the save system, um, I have I have actually been put off one game before. Chrono Trigger, I got about half an hour into it, hadn't had a save point, so turned it off and realised that you go straight back to the start. And... So in this case, what I did was I saw a manual save and thought, brilliant, excellent. I've played mm. 15 minutes, save it, have some dinner, come back. Came back and I was right at the start of the game again. <laughs> so I realised, obviously, that I need to look out for the little... Because when you go into the elevator, there's a little autosave or quick save thing pops up. It, it shows you that it's loading effectively anyway. And so I realised that was where I was going to be saving. So you just make sure you get to an elevator. Yeah. Um, but listening to Tony talk, it's actually ironic that um, being punished for being punished in terms of your progress for dying is something that Demon Souls and Dark Souls are held up for, and I would agree with that. I think it's those those games are great for that reason, and yet on the other hand, it seems like a criticism of of these older games because it's been because that sort of system's been replaced since, mm. and yet we've got two very modern games that do that intentionally. And it's not really a criticism yeah, but, of them. So they're, but, they're very much a throwback to that that earlier yeah. style. I think that's why people like them so much yeah, now. I, I would argue that seen anything like that in so long. Mm. The, the difference with with between those games is that you're meant to feel complete control with your Demon Souls character. Yes. Um, when you okay. make a mistake, yeah. it's your fault. I think there there's leverage to to throw at this game that with the the you know the four directional things. For instance, there's pits that open up, oh, um, yeah. and if you don't if you don't I mean first time if you don't know them there they're very easy to fall down, um, and yeah you you learn your lesson very really quickly when once you go into those rooms not to you know just go charging around and, and walking up to edges, but inevitably you will die. Uh, and yeah. you go back a checkpoint, and then sometimes because of the four-way system in those pits again, um, you have scenarios. Even though you know where the pit is, you don't move fast enough to get through it, and unless you do pixel perfect movement, you know, move down, move right, just at the right time. Mm. And sometimes, you know, there was one section where I had to repeat four times, mm-hmm. which essentially I had to go back ten minutes each time. So I got very good at those, you know, those first ten minutes. But it was forty minutes yeah. where it was more frustration oh, yeah. rather than honestly, enjoyment. if it hadn't been for the podcast. If you were just playing it because out of for your own interest, would you have persisted? Oh, I think yeah, that's... yeah. I'm I'm the sort of player who will quite happily persist. Fifty. I'm not good at games. Fifty, sixty deaths at one section is not terribly tough for <laughs> okay. me. I can do that easy. I'm talking like Call of Duty on um, on veteran difficulty, that sort of thing. Right. You can, I get to points where any reasonable, rational person would walk away from this game, and I'll stick at it. So that yeah, was never an issue for me. It's one thing sticking at the latest. Call of Duty with yeah. all its finery, you know, graphics and whatever. But another thing, perhaps, for somebody in 2012 to walk through 10 minutes of 8-bit screens again. Now, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I played through the first game and I tried to mm. play through the second game. And uh, you know, we'll talk about the backtracking in the second game. Um, Tony, do you? Um, what about you? Do you think you would have just dropped it at that point, or would you have? Are you bloody-minded enough to have persevered? Well, I mean. 
Normally, I am very bloody minded. Uh, I will complete games even yeah. at the sake of throwing things across the room. Yeah. But um, <laughs> and and the first game, I was bloody minded enough. I you know I just manned up and, and got through it. And the bit that I kept dying, I realised actually it was my own mistake, and um, you know I was being punished for it, and that was my own fault. So I got through it in the end. Um, the second game. I wasn't bloody minded enough because it, you know, it, it kept putting, putting me back far enough. I didn't have enough rations, and we get into that when we do get into the second yeah. game, and that was enough for me. At the, well, it's know, worth saying three quarters of the way through. So it's worth saying now that uh, in the first game you can stock up on as many rations as you can carry, which goes up depending on your rank. Uh, simply by going on to, into a screen w- that contains a ration, leaving and going straight back in, mm-hmm. um, they respawn instantly. Yeah, infinitely respawn. And that's yeah. true of uh, all non-one-off items in the game, so all ammo and everything. Whereas in the second game, you have to leave uh, a defined section before rations will respawn. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, I mean, it seems weird to criticise a game that is this old, um, and I, you know, I think there's there's bigger things to probably talk about, certainly in the, in the story point of view. But there is other quirks that I I found myself falling foul to, um, and it it's stuff like they don't direct you. Uh, we've got so used to every game telling you where the hell to go nowadays that it is actually quite a shock when um, you enter this room and there seems to be just walls and you walk around and you go back out the room and you enter the room again because it's the only way forward and there's no indication what you're meant to do but if you tap a wall that suddenly the wall oh you know this makes a different sound and it gives you um, an exclamation mark then you go okay I can lay lay plastic explosives but at no point that I I spent because I wasn't following the guide at the very start um, of this game because I was being bloody minded enough just to push through and I spent like 20 minutes just walking in and out of two rooms going <laughs> well I don't know yeah um, signposting wasn't so yeah, much of a now, thing back then I don't know whether that's that's me you know 20 years down the line I, I can't oh no loads of people would have just got stuck there uh, you know yeah. I, I, yeah, I remember absolutely. these days well enough uh, being the age I am to know that that would have been one of those bits where people would have just given up um, well, and I probably would have least of all um, because it's only in the updated version that you get the exclamation mark. I don't know if you happen to watch any bits of video of the MSX. It's just a change in sound. You don't yeah. get any visual clue at mm. all. Mm. And yeah. and on top of that, its its sense of direction is just absurd. Uh, it, there, there's times where, you know, if you're not following a guide, if you were just taking this game on face value back then, there is times when you would have no idea you have to go completely out of a base, you know, go back to like five, maybe 10, 15 screens earlier to pick up something that you wouldn't know necessarily you needed to pick up. I mean, I am confused how anybody, certainly then, was just like, yep, we can do this. I mean, yes, I eventually I took, uh, I think it was your advice, Leon, like, just follow a guide, like, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's no obvious sometimes no obvious way that you're meant to be going now like i say i i think there's more interesting stuff to say about this game other than you know some of the more confusing aspects but i think if you had to look at the game as a whole as a game game now uh, and you didn't necessarily want to follow a guide there 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 is some pretty basic game in design errors i think they made um you know comparative to what we have now yeah it's a game of its time yeah but you know there were there were games of that time which are still fun to play and you know one of the things when i was setting up cane and rinse was that i wanted to sort of get out of the mindset of judging games by their time obviously you have to exercise understanding and and Mm -hmm. uh, you know that there were limitations and stuff but i want to judge games by the experience they give you so if we found these things frustrating then you know, they they were frustrating. My biggest problem with the game was, and of course, yes, to a point, I 
forgive and understand it but the the key card shuffle was just absurd there's absolutely no reason <laughs> why they couldn't have just auto consolidated the key cards whereas all the doors in the game and as you say you have to do quite a lot of backtracking finding doors that you probably just skimmed past before tried to get into didn't open there are games uh, doors back near the start of the game where once you've picked up say key card number six you'll have to march all the way back through the base to un unlock a particular door that you may have seen and, and of course back in the day before YouTube guides or game facts whatever you'd have just simply gone walked around the entire map once again just to try every door that you hadn't previously tried but in this game all the doors have the same they have nothing on them to indicate whether they are a, a one level door or an eight level door uh, they don't have different colours and all the key cards look exactly the same they just you, ha you have to go into a description to see if they're and look fortunately they do stack up in numerical order at least uh, but it's this ridiculous thing where later in the game you'll you, you know you'll you'll have just gone one, through a, two. <laughs> a yeah you'll have gone through a six door and an eight door and a five door and then suddenly there'll be a one door but the only way you'll know <laughs> is to is to hold down the uh, trigger or probably would have been the select button so, at the time and you never get the right one first time do you very very seldom <laughs> so, yeah. let me ask you a question did did we all use a guide to get through this game yeah yeah james uh in, in places yeah i tried not to as much as i could but there was mm -hmm. a couple of spots where yes bits on the yeah. wall i just didn't know where to go so good man so yeah. I, I think i mean that that would be our advice i would imagine is to to use the guide because ultimately for all that frustration i, I really did enjoy I, metal gear 1. i did enjoy mm -hmm. it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, it, it's got roots of the roots of the whole um, the series, and they really do feel like roots. You know, meeting these characters for the first time, and I and you know, I I know other people have been put off, and certainly if you hear us talk about you know some of these nightmare scenarios we're talking about, it's very easy to be off put. But I think you actually do have to experience it rather than just watch it via like, maybe a video walkthrough, <laughs> because having those those moments of death and frustration actually. In, in a way reward you make it a lot more rewarding as you progress through the game and you actually do start to work out stuff for yourself before the guide even tells you what to do so absolutely sometimes it felt like the game was kind of provoking me yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. there was one I, I must be exceptionally stupid when it comes to stuff like this and I'll openly admit that but there was I really struggled Tony I agree with you but you were saying with the lack of direction from the very start, pretty much till the credits, I really struggled with remembering where I was to go, what I was to get, you know, where's my main objective, what do I need to do now, and oh, I need to go get the blast suit, oh, I need to do this, and I kept forgetting. And then, with the key cards and stuff, yeah, that was a minor annoyance, but there was one point where it was like a, the elevator, and one went up and one went down. Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's right. Up and yeah. down, and, it, there's, and like, there's a, there's, Basement, I think there's like basement one, basement two, or basement three, or whatever. And if you go to the wrong one, it's exceptionally difficult. So you have to like either by luck go the right way or just bang your head against the wall. And when I did that, I just kept forgetting all the time where I was meant to be going. Mm -hmm, and that's yeah. when I, I adopted the guide very early on. Mm. So if I was playing way back when, you know, I would have given up very very quickly because I, I think it was the repetition in the level as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all the levels looked the same and there was a slight differentiation with the blue walls and the yellow walls and stuff like that but they all felt so similar yeah. and I was like where the hell am I just now do I go left do I go right do I go where do I go and it's yeah but I mean oh. some of that's the, I mean we, everyone has to, there's got to be a better name for Metrovania than, than what it is but surely it's an arcade adventure I mean yeah, that's what I mean, we used to call them there, there's one room in particular, say, where there's a, um, I 
a lake or a stream that is running through it. It's hard to tell within the sprites. Um, and you know, you enter this this same room five or six times, and and there's different key cards for different doors. And um, if you go too far into the stream, then you get killed. I mean, eventually, about an hour after you first enter this room and you go off maybe about 12 different screens you come across a air canister that actually allows oh, yeah. you to um, swim through the deeper water right, so clearly yeah. you need to get back there yeah. but yeah. I had a, even even with a guide saying well you need to get back to that room I was like well where's that room <laughs> and then I spent the, the, you know, the next 20 minutes going completely the wrong direction until I then went okay well, I really do need to you know I had to find a, a proper walkthrough and I'd gone like you know I should have gone right and I'd gone left and I think I'd managed to do what Paul done I went down the wrong elevator ended up in a completely yeah. wrong section yeah. of the plant yet yeah. I find all that kind of you know now actually funny and and an enjoyable experience because I worked out eventually how to get out of there but I think back then I wouldn't have the patience to go yeah. where is this lake again I know where I need to be but I mean you know, Leon, I think you're the the most experienced of this. I mean, is that just old game design, or is oh, that? Oh no, yeah. I mean, that's how games used to be, and I, I guess that's why sometimes I'm probably more positive about contemporary games than other people maybe. And I'm always a bit, you know, I, I get a bit frustrated that people seem quite sort of spoiled by, you know, even even games that I consider to be very mm-hmm. good. It's like, oh, it's rubbish, because I grew up playing these games where. They they were absolutely they were brutal they were unforgiving they were confusing you spent sort of seventy five percent of your playtime lost you know unless it was the most straightforward sort of uh, you know, action game and um, yeah it's it would be you know if they added a, a a little golden arrow which pointed which screen you were supposed to go to next in this game in the you know maybe for the for the re releases they should have done that because I don't think it would have made it less fun. Um, but back then, you know, when people spent, you know, people talk about games being expensive or cheap or whatever, but this game probably would have been a $50 cartridge or something back in the day. And it would have, you know, you talk about padding in games now, but this was how games lasted back then. You know, you would buy one or two a year and you would spend a large amount of your playtime just finding where the hell to go next. Well, and and there's the iron, isn't it? I mean, if if you follow follow a guide, for instance, you can complete Metal Gear 1 in four hours. It's not a long uh, game, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, games, but game back then, I can imagine this is the kind of game you'd have played for the whole summer. Just like you would have got to that one section and, and gone around every door with every key card. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad experience. I think it's just we were very different back then. The the, the um, buzz you get from finding that locked door, or, you know, what people would have done with this game back then was draw their own map. Absolutely. You would have had graph paper out and a pencil. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've done that a lot, and that you know that is that was you know rewarding and satisfying at the time. And if you didn't do that, you wouldn't finish the game. More and the same for that. the transmitter uh, frequencies. You would need to keep a record of it because in the second game, there's spots at which I had no idea how to work out what frequency I needed to <laughs> to call on. Yeah. Talk about that. There's a door. You know, if you're that four class um, four star thing, that there is a door that. You can only ring by ringing that that woman and getting the the frequency. Yeah, and you need it. Unlocks the door. The door. Yeah. And yeah. But that's the only door in the entire game where you do that, yep. and you would have no reason to believe that you'd have to that's ring a number right. for that one door. Yeah, I mean, this is there's a lot of moments in both these games which are things sort of fairly specific to Kojima and a few other games designers, mm-hmm. where you will be asked to do one thing that will never, the likes of which will never be seen before or again in the entire game. 
and that yeah. so you do have to have that sort of that thought process like like Paul says like lateral thinking where you're actually you have to kind of unlock your mind from the sort of quite repetitious process of playing the moment to moment game and actually think right what can I actually do here there's some great mm. moments I mean we'll get on to the, the second game in a, in a moment and uh, obviously we've covered a lot of the sort of general things about playing an old 8-bit game but there's probably more things in Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake that are actually sort of noteworthy um, once the foundations have been laid but what I wanted to do before that is actually talk about the game that ca the second Metal Gear game to come out which was Snake's Revenge on the NES so the story goes that uh, because Metal Gear had done so well on the NES that uh, they decided to, Konami decided to do a sequel on the NES uh, made perfect sense a uh, more successful machine in the US you know, millions and millions of units mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it was uh, I mean it was uh, four guys at Konami who uh, I, I don't know their, their soft ology as it were um, made it uh, and um, it came out did very well I think it was reviewed quite well and I believe that Kojima likes this one that's my understanding um, and in fact it was the designers of Snake's Revenge speaking to Kojima who persuaded Kojima to get back on the horse and make Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. Um, so Snake's Revenge came out in April of 1990 and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake came out in July which back in those days that's about how long it takes to make a game. You know about s probably I guess he started making it before Snake's Revenge was finished so I guess you're looking at a five or six month programming period which was pretty you know pretty normal back then mm -hmm. um a lot of 8-bit games were actually turned around in a month or two months so that would have been you know you can tell from from this game that you know it did have a lot of work put into it Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake set in 1999 five years after the uh, Outer Heaven incident um, the first thing you notice when you boot it up is obviously it was it was running on the same 
hardware, but um, even there were multiple generations of the MSX machines, but this was also MSX2. But the graphics and sound are noticeably beefed up. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more animation, a lot more color, and the sound very much sounds more like um, the machines of the day. So the, it, it does sound a lot like a Mega Drive. I don't know if it actually had the same sound chip in there. But it has a soundtrack. Yes, it's got more so than just sounds. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a, it's got a lot of uh, excellent chip tunes. Hopefully, some of which um, you will, uh, the listeners will hear dotted around this issue of the podcast. Um, the animation is still there. There are still it's still noticeably eight bit. It's it's clearly not a sixteen bit game because uh, yeah, animation is limited. Uh, number of elements on screen is limited. But the overall look, if you if you just look at a still shot, it looks it looks more like an early Mega Drive game than it looks like an NES game. I suppose you could, if you were being kind. Um, so uh, right, Paul, plot. <laughs> Zanzibar Land. That's a great name. (laughs) The first time I I think I actually tweeted a picture of of just Zanzibar Land. So Zanzibar is a real place in the real world, isn't it? I don't know where it is. Yeah, but this isn't based on that. No, it's just called that because why not? (laughs) If I can just quickly hop in here, I think this is a good time. I I quickly made some notes, and the opening uh, text of of this game is quite a good demonstration of the difference between the original translation and ah, yes, the updated translation. Because okay. in the original game, it opens with just a series of statements. They're not really strung together terribly well. And it says, late 1990s, Cold War is over, nuclear threat is gone, but peace is not embraced by all. Mm. That's that's how it starts. Um, yeah, the intro is really up- long as well, isn't it? And it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's like yeah. it would have taken up as probably a, the, the intro would have been like half the amount of K that the entire Metal Gear 1 took yeah probably yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely so in the update they expand on it and actually translate it probably a lot more well faithfully and it's not prose by any means but it does string together much much better yes Um, so it actually puts it into sentences it is the late 1990s the world is embarking on uh, an age of peace and stability relations between the Cold War superpowers have thawed regional conflicts are being resolved the threat of nuclear war is now a thing of the past but there are some who do not desire peace. That's right, because Zanzibar land was pretty much the only place in the world at that point that had nuclear capabilities. That's exactly it, yeah. yeah Everywhere else, in the in the five years since uh, the 1994 setting of the first one, everywhere else had agreed to get rid of their nuclear mm-hmm. weapons. Yeah. And um, Dr. Madnar, um, who was instrumental in making... Uh, Metal Gear. That's right, isn't it? It's Madnar who made Metal Gear, yeah. and Marv mm-hmm. who was the the oh, other scientist. Yeah. Um, so uh, Mad- Madnar, um, is that the right way around? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. He he'd basically been shunned by everyone because he's the one who created Metal Gear, and he was blamed for uh, the world being on the brink of nuclear war. And so all countries started to get rid of their nuclear weapons, and Zanzibar Land managed to. Uh, mop up if you'll excuse the phrase um, yeah. a, a lot of the uh, to be disposed of nuclear weapons leaving them as the only nuclear power in the world and there's uh, and there's uh, the stuff about the oil icks as well so uh, fuel there's this uh, the, the fuel resources are starting to run low or yeah. uh, was slightly ahead of schedule with that but <laughs> that much um, and so they've uh, somebody's come up with this uh, wonder alternative called Oilix. Mm-hmm. It was um, Marv who's in who throughout the game as a scientist. Yeah, was, I think if memory serves, uh, 
Zanzibarland basically kidnapped him. Yep. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. That's I right. think that's right. Yeah. And um, yeah. So he's over there, and they've got him. He's making oilix, which is this new kind of uh, synthesized uh, solid fuel. fuel yeah. yeah. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Um, so gameplay-wise, this introduces some things which the first Metal Gear didn't have. So you have crouching and prone now, which uh, is crucial. You can. There's most of the environments have. Uh, places under which you can crawl and hide, yeah. and uh, that, that adds to the kind of stealth feeling, doesn't it? Going through the, the yeah, air absolutely. vents and such, that was that was really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the entrance, the, your your entry to the to the facility in this game uh, was echoed very strongly in Solid. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the uh, the nine grid radar system now. It's not called Soliton as it is in Solid, but it's uh, it's a similar thing. The enemies don't have vision cones, but you can see them marching their routes, the troops uh, from more than a screen away, and they persist over an, an, a nine screen area. Um, so that changes the gameplay a lot, as does you have true alert phases now as well, don't you? So, mm-hmm. um, and it works really almost identically to in to the solid games that I've played anyway, pretty much. Um, if they if you manage to evade them for a little while, they 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 get less uh, uh, vigilant, active, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then eventually they go he's not here and just go back to their <laughs> go back to their posts which is nice um so oh yeah um yeah and the plot uh, as well as um the plot does tie in quite strongly to the first game also because uh i think you you meet um Kyle Schneider early on who was the leader of the resistance in the first game well, he's um, black colour isn't he he's a he's black, black ninja colour yeah, yeah or, black colour originally yeah black colour or black ninja depending on which <laughs> version you're playing oh, um, of course, yeah. yeah that's true of, true of all of it um, and he's no longer kind of on side with you because uh, he was disenfranchised by the fact that after Snake had been pulled out of Outer Heaven NATO bombed the shit out of it yeah yeah. didn't care about their own basically yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. and was it Petrov as well Petrovich, scientist guy, Petrovich. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's Doctor Madnar. Yeah, that, that's Madnar. Yeah, no, called Petrovich in the original. Yeah, um, but, it, but yeah, his full name yeah, is listed as Doctor Drago Petrovich Madnar. So yeah. I don't know whichever canon version you take. I don't know what he is. Madnar is the, the updated updated version. Okay. So yeah, whichever version he is on the on the Metal Gear Solid Four database on the PS3 is the is the official. Everything in that is official, as far as I know. Um, so there's some really like from quite early on this game although it has fundamentally the same thing you're sneaking about in you only have the four cardinal directions you can walk in you don't have very many bullets on screen you're collecting items you have cigarettes in your pack you've got rations you get a silencer for your pistol all that stuff's the same but the more interesting stuff about this apart from the improved soundtrack and visuals is you start getting stuff like uh, there's a room where uh, you walk into it and it sounds like someone's knocking i think this is actually dr madnar isn't it you walk into a room and you hear someone you 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 get the idea that someone's trapped behind a wall because they're knocking um now if you weren't playing this with a guide <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah that's right it's a it's a codec isn't it he's telling you a code yeah, <laughs> yeah um, right. and your colonel uh, colonel campbell who's your commanding officer now at this point uh who you'll know from metal gear solid at least and uh two 
he uh, explains that this was a, this is where you start seeing these little bits of real life sort of uh, dripped in to the to the script. Again, I don't know about the original um, translation, but in in the the subsistence version, starts talking about how these these were used in um, Korea in the Korean War and the Vietnam War, where people would have a uh, it, they weren't using um, you know the uh, what's the Morse code Morse code yeah it was a but it was a a, a relative thereof something similar to that so uh in the in your original manual if you had a soft if you had a, a paper manual for your metal gear 2 cart you would uh, look up this sequence of knocks if you worked out what was going on and you would translate it into a codec frequency um however if you're playing the subsistence version i don't uh, is it in the digital manual i doubt it it might be i have but, no idea yeah um but I looked at, you know, I, I was looking at a guide on YouTube and it had it laid out and obviously it could, you know, you can just look up the, the codec if you want, but it's a really cool little puzzle. You know, it's the start of these sort of, again, in this game, there's a whole branch of sort of thinking outside the box puzzles. Um, so what were your guys, when you first started, were you uh, embracing returning to Metal Gear after having gone through the the first game which is you know in, in some ways as we say it's quite primitive were you excited to play through Metal Gear 2? Uh, yeah absolutely um, I think the first thing I felt with Metal Gear 2 was it feels quite a lot tougher than the first game mm-hmm. it feels like you are um, well because there's no respawning rations um, you, you're really starting to scavenge for every ration you can find trying to work they out they do respawn but you have to you have to go a long way you've away you've got to go through the loading screen effect, effect. Yeah. I think it's just yeah. the loading screen um, but you so yeah you, you start to feel like actually you need to make use of the new radar and I had, I struggle with the radar actually mm. um, I couldn't get used to it so I'd end up I was fine on the screen I was on but number of times I walked onto the next screen and had an <laughs> alarm go straight off and I was like oh no yeah. And of course, you can't just walk back onto the screen you were on and get rid of it like Not you did in the first game. So, so it, it was quite a steep learning curve at the beginning because I was just assuming I could carry on as I had been playing the previous day on on Metal Gear. Um, but once I got used to the radar, once I got used to scavenging around for for rations, and once you start beating the bosses, your health meter goes up pretty quickly, and yeah. you start to find that actually, you know, once you get the silencer fitted and and you start to make sure you've got enough ammo, that you start to feel a lot more capable by the end of the game. You actually get a bulletproof vest in this game if you find it as well. Uh, but yeah, some kind of body armor. Which body armor, yeah. Reduces. There was body armor in the first game as well. I think you just had oh, to yeah. look around for it. Yeah. I never found that. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, so, Tony, you finished also finished Metal Gear um, and you came to Metal Gear 2 thinking, oh shit, I've got to play this for the podcast or brilliant, more Metal Gear. Uh, that was definitely brilliant more Metal Gear I, I, for all my complaints of the first one I, I actually really came away from the first Metal Gear actually quite glad I'd sat there and played yeah, it and me you too. Know, it's my first game I'd, the first 8-bit game I'd completed probably in the last 15 years yep. so there was a, a real sense of satisfaction mm. there um, I think first thoughts of Metal Gear 2 would be um, Metal Gear 1 was is very much like the genesis of, of where this all began um, Metal Gear 2 actually feels like where the Metal Gear Franchise with a lot more of its tropes actually began because there's there's a lot more ideas. Um, the crouch is you know is a real significance. You can actually crawl through things, um, and that adds a lot more to the gameplay. The, the alert phase, of course, is is something we're very familiar with now, um, and you know I found that more of a hindrance than than a help because I actually think 
in hindsight, Metal Gear One was very easy comparatively to Metal Gear Two. Yeah. Um, and you know, yes, the the you could obviously get a lot more rations and a lot more ammo, and you know, you have that star system, so you know that goes some way towards that. But um, I actually found a lot of the improvements in Metal Gear Two because I was kind of playing it in in a, a state of well, I would just I just kind of want to get through this and quickly for the show. Mm. Uh, I probably didn't allow myself enough time. In that regards, to actually, you know, really, uh, really yeah. concentrate and play this, because I was basing a lot of my stuff from Metal Gear One. It's a lot bigger, so, and uh, yeah, and there's a, you have to be a lot more careful, really. You do, yeah, without doubt. Um, you know, when when the alarms goes off, it, it it's a it becomes a real big fight because you know you're not just one person you're going to be killing, or you go another screen, it will be five or six or seven people. They'll throw down those screens. Yeah, uh, and it's quite hard to, to to get out of the way and escape and for that. Alert. For, I mean, but you get used to that. Fairly quickly, yeah. you know. Once again, I think there's about another hour or two, um, you know, bedding in phase. But yeah it, yeah, it feels more like the Metal Gear we have today. Um, so that that was definitely where I went at, at the start. Just, just out of interest, later. there's a there's a nice technique you can use to sort of mimic the escape route from Metal Gear One, which is basically just race keep racing from screen to screen until you get onto a screen where there's no enemies, and then hunker down in the cardboard box because um, ah. it will just kick over to that twenty second countdown. Um, and and they will walk over, say, what's that, and start shooting the box for yeah. no good reason, um, yeah. which will whittle away your health. But assuming you're okay elevators. on rations, it does yeah. get you out of it. Later, you get a bucket which uh, which doesn't uh, doesn't hurt when they shoot you, and they do the same thing. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yes, this, it should it, yeah, it should be said. Both these games have a cardboard box. This was also mm-hmm. not a new Metal Gear Solid thing. It was just a continuation. Mm-hmm. So, Paul, uh, did you, when you had subsistence back in the mid-2000s, did you leap straight from Metal Gear 1 to 2? Yeah, I did, very much. And I, I really enjoyed the second one. Mm. Um, I'll pretty much echo what Tony said. For me, it felt a lot more like uh, like what I, what I know Metal Gear to be. You know, I think maybe mm-hmm. just the alert phase, you know, that was something, and, and the crouching as well. Those very slight changes for me felt a lot more like Metal Gear. And... And the bosses as well. I, I kept. I found myself, and a sense of irreverence. I think came it came through a lot, a lot better mm. in the second game. Yeah. I felt, and I've loved this about every single one of his games. I've always felt like I'm in kind of like the palm of his hand. I, I don't know what the hell he's going to do, you know, and, and I yeah. want to find that out. So, you know, I felt. Um, I like the sneaking about, you know, as I said, the stealth and the and the, the, the air vents and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that. But it was it was going to find out what was going to happen next, you know, those those crazy bosses and stuff like that 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 made me enjoy it a hell of a lot more. <laughs> the Running Man. Yeah, I was just about to mention <laughs> one of the one of the worst Metal Gear bosses of all time, Running Man, who's uh, who who be- tries to beat you by running away. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I just remembered him. Yeah. So you have to lay down. Oh, spoiler, I guess, but you have to lay down mines yeah. uh, in different screens. You can see once again the radar actually does come into play at that point. Yeah. You can see him going from screen to screen. So you drop a uh, mine. It's a puzzle, in the really. Where it has to go fight. through. Yeah, it's. But it, it it is funny. I am the Running Man. I can run. <laughs> I am runs- the fast. This man. There's a cutscene. Like, he runs around okay. the block of the four screens. Yeah. The battle goes on. Goes puff pant. Hey, when I was just getting started. <laughs> and it takes and it takes like a minute for him to run around the screen. Yeah, and you're, you're just, just standing there, frozen, there. waiting for him. Yeah, watching this dot move. Yeah, don't die on that battle. We're all laughing at it, you know. And I think that that's it, that speaks volumes as to just how even today how how bonkers that was at the time. You've got to, yeah. You've got to there's think a lot of yourself. there's yeah. a lot of comedy moments. Other things that uh, that 
are familiar to veteran Metal Gear players of any era. The Hind D appears in pretty much every game at some point, the mm-hmm. war helicopter. Uh, crawling over mines to pick them up. Makes little sense, but but works well. <laughs> um, yeah, the now I had a problem with this game. This is uh, Tony and I both have to fess up here because this is the first time first in time the six-month history of Kane and Rince that we've had people on this podcast who haven't completed the games that we're talking about. Uh, so for me, um, there's a cool bit with a pigeon. Uh, the boss, the boss <laughs> red grenade. What's he? What else is he known as? Anything else? Color red, red color. No. I, I... I just red grenade. Probably, yeah, still red grenade. Yeah. So he chucks grenades at you. He hides in a sort of <laughs> roof cavity and throws grenades, and you throw grenades up at him. Fairly inconsequential. Uh, there, there are these weird tripwire things everywhere, which you get rid of just by repeatedly walking, walking into them. them. <laughs> it's very strange <laughs> as well. Um, but then, sadly, the reason I didn't get to play this to the end, although I have watched it to the end on YouTube. Uh, was a bug out moment a really cool thing and this again relates to something that you see later in Metal Gear Solid uh, you have to out a f- uh, a female in disguise as one of the enemy troops and the way you do this and again I'm not sure I ever would have worked this out if I hadn't been looking at a guide is you hide near the toilet and wait for her to use the ladies <laughs> unfortunately in my game she never used the ladies uh I waited for extraordinarily long periods to wait and see if the guard route would eventually reset. I left the area completely, shut the game down, reloaded, uh, tried to go all the way across the map and back again, see if it would, you know, forget what had happened or something, you know, some, something had gone wrong. So no matter how long I hid for, the soldier would come in from the left-hand side of the screen, walk up... I've seen it on how it's supposed to happen. It's supposed to walk to the gents' door, look left, look right, look left, look right, look left, look right, and then sneak off to the ladies and go straight in the ladies. What my soldier was doing was going up to the ladies, looking left, right, left, right, left, right, then walking around in a circle and going into the gents. So I couldn't, I could not <laughs> progress in the game beyond this point. I can either I'd done something really stupid or I hadn't done something earlier in the game, or as I fear the emulation's bugged out and for some reason it's got it's got glitched maybe i did yeah maybe maybe it was a bug that was present in the original game and was also included in the emulation i don't know but uh this was at sort of two o'clock this afternoon i did have time to complete the game uh i was it's about halfway through but sadly it wasn't to be um so i ended up watching it on youtube pretty surreal situation uh i've got a brand new copy untouched of mass effect i've got the new journey from that game company sitting there unplayed and I'm watching a 22 year old game on YouTube but uh, that's that's how we suffer for our art here. It, it does make me wonder if you hadn't accidentally killed the female soldier uh, and, and it was just she respawns. Yeah I consulted yeah. I consulted uh, anyone, you, all, all three of you on uh, Twitter, only Paul was available at the time um, and, uh, and, I, and I you know I googled my heart out, I looked at all the YouTube comments Somebody yeah. else had the same thing on the PS2 version. Oh, okay. it's, it's it's a bug. There, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no one had responded to. She them. just walked up to mine, so it's because first time I had to follow Green Beret. I don't know if that's a reference to the original game, mm. but first time I had to follow him, I walked in there and shot him before I realised he was actually on the loop and I was supposed to be following yeah. him. So uh, I, I, he responds as well. So I just came past a loading <laughs> yeah, screen and went back, right. and it was fine. But um, yeah, something something but, yeah. screwed up. It's a shame. I just got the mm. bucket. It was fun, um, and I'm kind of pretty upset that I'm not getting to play the rest of it but I have got to see it um, so yeah uh, I guess your your uh, 
premature end came a bit later tony did it or did you not get that yeah, yeah i'm actually looking at the the, the youtube guide I, I was actually about three quarters away from the yeah. game so i i may go back the mistake i did was i had a save and i was overwriting a save and the last save i had was um a, a good hour back in the game and um i mean this was late last night and i unfortunately had work to do this morning so i was going to come home and you know finish the game but i, run, I just run out of time yeah that was an app pretty amateur mistake on that one but yeah. uh the reason i got got stuck in the end was because i'd spent the first couple hours maybe of the game really not playing as cautious because i was coming from the first one and having that same attitude uh, and you know I'd, I'd lost a lot of a lot of health you know and the guy in the guide had tons of rations and and i was picking up the ones and they were the you know that one ration basically trying to keep me alive for quite a long mm. time and i didn't know the trick you could actually go two or three screens and and come back which would have been handy but um there's a section in the game um where you go up a lift and the, i think the lift then actually drops you know, it does it drops yeah. and you have to work your way back up these stairs oh god yeah i saw um, that watching that was like oh god i'm pretty glad i didn't have to and, play um, that and um yeah, and there's not a lot you can do. You just have to keep running, and they shoot you, and you lose yeah. health. And I just, I just didn't have enough health, and that was that. You know, just not enough yeah. health to get through that section. Didn't have enough uh, rations, and you know, I'd, I'd locked my myself away from that. And I could have gone yeah. back an hour, but so actually, in um, a way, the, the 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 save system present in the in these versions is actually a hindrance because what you would have had is a code going back a to code, a previous yeah. section, and then you could have just gone back one section. But here, you've overwritten all your previous saves. Well. James did talk about that actually. If you do it enough time, then it actually starts giving you. Yeah, more health in, in the or... first game, I had one spot where I died a few times, which actually coincided with walking across the um, the desert. And in in terms of having to repeat that section, there's quite a lot to pick up just before you start crossing the desert. Mm. Um, and I forgot to pick up the compass one time, and I love the <gasps> fact that you get to the second <laughs> screen of the desert and just keep walking, and it just repeats the same yep. screen forever because yep. you can't find your way across. Um, but yeah, in the uh, so in the first game, if you die a few times, it basically tops you up to max rations and max ammo. <laughs> um, and I, I think that might be a facet of the easy mode that they Yeah, play, we should say, should, we which should say that everyone should play it on yes, the easy mode. So you, not the original. Yes, there's original setting, which is however it, difficult it was on the on the MSX uh, cartridge as was. Um, or there's easy mode, which was for us uh, pampered modern gamers. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, I think basically. I assume that's what it is, and probably you take a bit less damage. Yeah, but it's do less damage. Like I, yeah, I think I there's a couple of rooms where there might even be fewer soldiers and stuff like that. I'm not sure, but yeah. But and so, so in, I mean, in the second game, they're not quite as quick to top you up. But I did again have one spot where I died, I think four or five times, and sure enough, it didn't top my health up. But when I went into my inventory, there was a couple of cans of rations, just enough to. It was such a frustrating thing for me when my game bugged out. I had like 10 or 11 rations and tons of ammo. There was no way I was going to let the game beat me in a way like that. I'd been sort of deliberately being really cautious with my ration usage. Um, And then it it was something else. But it's it's, it's certainly something I'm going to go... I I feel like I will go back to um, and actually do. Because I'm actually really... looks I'm about an hour away from the So. Um, it's it's not actually going to be a big deal, but it's just you know, running out of time. From what from but, watching um, the video, I think you know, like I feel like I didn't. There there are some really cool bits, and uh, you know, I've written down quite a few notes of the bits, and perhaps uh, Paul and James can tell us what it was like to play them. But um, <laughs> I feel that the second half perhaps did have a lot of backtracking in it. 
Um, yeah. yeah. There seemed to be an enormous amount. Even the, the, the guide, I, was, I think there's pretty much only one YouTube playthrough of this game and, and uh, the guy was sort of saying the game actually gets pretty boring at this point because you're you're just going back through the base and back through the base over and over again. And in some but, cases there's not really much hint as to where you're going or even really why in some spots. Much more so than the first game. I felt the first game was much more linear and generally easier to find your way. The second game, there's no way I would have made it through some places without uh, a guide to, to point me in the right direction because you're backtracking to rooms that you haven't seen for five hours. Yeah, right. So, yeah, uh, so. the bits I, bits of note, uh, you're talking to uh, Natasha, a.k.a. Gustava, uh, yeah. who talks of... Uh, this is where we start getting into the, 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 the emotional sort of side of Metal Gear where she talks of her lost love Frank Yeager and uh, and then she gets blown up on a bridge and Snake says I just wanted to see you skating again uh, because she was an ice skater uh, so and then Grey Fox turns up and that is Frank Yeager and he killed yeah because at, at the time they call him Frank Hunter or she calls him Frank Hunter oh. and it's only at the end of the game right. where they point out that Hunter is Yeager and the Frank Yeager you know is the same guy I see uh, she has a shape-shifting brooch made out of a metal which responds <laughs> to heat and cool which is, some, is another sort of Metal Gear trope isn't backtracking. it yeah. uh, there's a hang glider you have to backtrack a long way to get a hang glider um, and you also get a, quite a cool camouflage blanket um, at that point which looks like the texture of the floor of whatever room you're in uh, and that's the body armour um, I noticed there's a lot of kids wandering around uh, the the facility yeah. in uh, Zanzibar land um, and they often talk about if you get a cold you can go and see the medic uh, I remember there being illness in Metal Gear Solid is it, is it actually possible to get a cold in Metal Gear 2 or is that just Nonsense. You, you can get the medicine certainly because I picked the medicine up. I didn't have cause to. What did I use it for? It wouldn't be the scorpions, would it? That was the antidote. Antidote. The, the scorpions that's and the antidote game, was the, yeah. yeah the first game. Um, I, I want to say I did use it for something, but I can't think for the life of me what it was. Yeah, they kept saying. But yeah, you, you might get a, you know you might get ill or something. Yeah, and and you go into the medical room, although you've no real way to know it's the medical room, and sure enough, it says there's a cold medicine bottle there that you pick up but I can't remember using it for anything so there's a, a sauna with a naked dude with a censorship spot over him <laughs> which sort of wiggles from side to side yeah it does yeah, yeah. Pretty... amazingly floppy genitals yeah <laughs> and it's there on on his way back out as well so I'm presumably amazingly floppy ass crack but I, I'm actually talking about that as well there, there's a, a great part before there where you can actually um, I think it's crawl underneath the guard's beds and if you turn the light on um, obviously all the guards wake up but if you actually you can put your infrared goggles in and you can just walk through this room without them seeing you night, all, night some vision nice, yeah some really yeah, yeah night yeah. vision um, there's some really nice touches I think you know, happen throughout the rest of the Metal Gear there's a couple of really good rooms as well where they've got mannequins made to look like soldiers <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah for no good reason and they're just set dressing you can't interact with them in any way except that in a couple of the rooms once you've been through one room and it's absolutely yeah. fine the next room if you're not paying attention to the radar, yeah. you wouldn't notice one of the dots is flashing, flashing and it's yeah. actually a card. Yeah. yeah, but you you can also play the national anthem at that point and they salute and then you can kill them because they're on. Oh, <laughs> you can play. All right. And there's a clue early yeah. on about the national anthem where you go into that control room and, and it starts playing. How do you play it? How do you? How do you... Don't you get a cassette, I think? Yeah, oh, you, get, yeah, you a, do a cassette, get a cassette. Yeah. And you play it and they salute <laughs> and you shoot them. I did one not of the, know one that. of the kids tells you that. 
Yeah, Maybe that's why my game... must oh, no, salute that's... every time they hear the... the yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is ironic for a, for a, what's supposed to be, from Outer Heaven's days, a sort of military without state, you know? Yeah, They're true. supposed to be completely devoid of that sort of thing. Oh, true. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so you fight the uh, Ultra Box, a.k.a. the Four Horsemen, in a small room. Uh they sort oh, of oh yeah they, they jump around don't they yeah they jump around and you just shoot them that's the elevator yeah, yeah. what Tony's yeah. referring to where, where it effectively drops the elevator and then Grey Fox tells you that yeah these these four guys are coming to get you you have to climb ten floors manually which is uh, every floor is four screens so I think yeah. you have to go and through 40 screens to do that bit the thing that got me there wasn't that I was being hit it was the fact that you get about two thirds of the way up and you find one of those pits opens up underneath you and you <laughs> yeah. oh, oh. it you die and off you go Marvelous. back to that that and, elevator again and I did <laughs> yes uh, so my next uh, point of note was the fact that you uh, there's a there's a slightly oblique clue about maybe one of your items will tell you which way the wind is blowing so you have to hang glide off this uh, roof only when the wind is blowing in the right direction for obvious reasons uh, and you work out that you have to chuck a grenade and see which way, way the smoke goes although it, mm. it actually just puts an arrow on screen because the graphics for the smoke the animation is the same yeah. whatever but uh, yeah then he has a fag just before he gets on his hang glider yeah because you can't hang glide on off unless you have the cigarette yeah. to calm yeah. your nerves yeah. isn't exactly. that correct yeah, yeah. scared of heights that's, that's, the one, that's <laughs> one of the few things he's actually scared of <laughs> so yeah you have to calm your nerves that's what I was alluding to earlier I get mixed up my games mixed up again mm. um, it's a very yeah. similar yeah there's a parachute jump in the first game but um, yeah you don't have to have a fag in that one oh, right. uh, does does his, um, does uh, Snake's Vertigo ever come up in any of the other games I don't think so no that's weird that's weird that would have been a sort of interesting chink in his armour um, so then there's a, a boss in a sort of cornfield who uh, I know that uh, I haven't played it yet but I gather this relates to it's not so dissimilar to a boss that's in Metal Gear Solid 3 in the I'm way it works I what one it would be there's actually a few of the bosses the end um, are quite similar um, the end you do face the end in the jungle don't you no, that's that's the fear, is it not? The, uh, yeah, maybe. He jumps about the trees. It's actually relatively similar to the you get sort of grenades down at you in this oh. game. Anyway, um, so he's this this guy's popping up um, from in the corner, and you're using your remote control rockets, which all yeah, as I say, appeared in both Metal Gear One and Two. Uh, which again, you know, I incorrectly assumed the first time I played Solid that that would have been that would have required PlayStation technology to, for such things, but no, that was already there. So you have to. I actually didn't have to use the rockets either. I just waited until he popped up and ran to sort of geometrically in line with him, and then just started shooting him because as soon as you hit him once, he ducks back down and runs, and within. I don't know, 10 or 20 shots he goes down that's a significant just, difference just with the regular actually gun. between the first and the second game in the first game uh, you can only use the specific weapon on specific bosses and although that does follow over with some of them there are options there it is more flexible in the first game there are so even when, once you've got the rocket launcher which you use to kill the heavily armoured twins uh, you can't use that on some guy later on Just it simply doesn't hurt him for no reason you know it's just yeah. uh his armour. His armour, yeah. Uh, so then there's a section where you collect some eggs. Uh, and you end up with a snake in your backpack. This is absolutely mad. So you go into your inventory menu uh, and there's uh, an animated snake actually running up and down on the screen. 
Yeah. James, you, what happens here? Basically, you can't tell which way around the eggs are, so you just pick both of them up. I'm not even sure it's that clear why you're picking them up. So you pick them up and... No, I don't think it is. One they, of them's a bird egg and one of them's a reptile egg. That's one, one of them's a bird and one's a reptile, but they look essentially identical. Um, and so what happens is they shortened it quite a bit in the update. It used to take a lot longer in game time for them to hatch, but the snake always hatches first. And what it does when you look at it is he is hearing up and down your inventory screen and every time he stops on your rations he eats one <laughs> you'll work that out pretty quickly because you, you're keeping an eye on your rations all the time Yeah. and so I immediately paused my game and I'm not having this so I went up to Google yeah. and found out the only way to get rid of it is to click on his hatched egg which is still in your inventory <laughs> when he's passing over it See, absolutely bizarre this is either that could genius actually end or your game. sick <laughs> yeah. I think that could actually end your game it's <laughs> It's mad, absolutely mad, nearly as mad as the owl. But then, yeah, yeah, the so owl is the thing that, that alerts the guard. And it, to tell make us about think the owl. That yeah. It's night time. Yeah, right. Yeah, you, yeah, the owl hatches. The logic here goes to shit, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it is, it's bonkers. <laughs> but um, one of the guards hears the the owl, uh, assumes it's night time, and then <laughs> turns the electric fence off to let to let the kids out to play. You know, given the fact that. The light hasn't changed around them. It's not changed from yeah. the end to the time. This is yeah. This is outdoors. Oh, owl, mind, I yeah. must go. <laughs> what kind, I mean, kind of security I'll, I'll system. Oh, it's night, even though it's still light. I'll turn off the laser fence. But I'll be surprised. I mean, this is a man. You look at the series is going on and on and on. He's done some very strange stuff. So, yeah. so you know, an owl in someone's backpack and alerting the guard to turn the electric fence off is actually probably low down the scale of some of the stuff he's pulled off. But <laughs> it is certainly the genesis. That's a particularly <laughs> bizarre one. Uh, well, I mean, even at the very end, um, well, I've only seen this in the YouTube video, so you guys can tell us. But um, then you have to empty everything out of your backpack because it's on fire. It's on fire, That's... everything, even if it's not flammable. A pair of binoculars you cannot leave in your. But backpack. instead of just saying, "Well, all your infantry's gone," this is like you're on fire, you're on fire, it's you're losing health. health. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it forces so, you to actually do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you've got to empty out each individual ration that you've been hoarding the whole game. <laughs> just press it, go, 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 and it's just soul destroying. But you have to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. other. Um, other things of note of the, uh, that I saw with I witnessed with my very eyes. So you have a quite an inventive boss fight with night sight or night fight, depending. Um, mm -hmm. Where he he's invisible and you have to uh, work out where he is by mm -hmm. the sound of the, the there are various floor sounds in the game depending on what you're walking on, and uh, this applies to him. Um, although in the the video I watched, he pretty much kind of pinned him down in one screen and just kept shooting him so he kept you appearing. You keep hammering him, yeah, yeah, and get quite a few shots on him until I actually end up pushing him off the screen oh. and then I had to wait for him to come back in and do the same again. It takes so. a lot of shots, I noticed. Uh, yeah. Took quite yeah. a lot of hits. I, I did wonder, because you've got infrared goggles and night vision goggles, so I put on my infrared thinking, well, maybe that's mm. you can see him, but no, no. sure enough, you have to listen it's for it. It's all about the sound. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. incredibly inventive, not something that probably would have been done before that point. Yeah, and it's not necessarily something that the the power of the system can do but it's a good sign of what was going to come in in the solid games when the ability was there graphically mm. and with with sort of stereo sound where you could learn to sort of pinpoint by sound whereas with this you, you 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 can't really pin him down all that well what you tend to do is end up waiting for him to start shooting and then shoot back and and just pin him down with your own fire so so I mean, because obviously we've been talking about these games for quite long. So, what is the um, Paul? You're, you're probably the best person to answer this. You know, what's the wrap up of Metal Gear Two? Where's it? How does it lead us into? I assume Metal Gear Solid at this point. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, uh, it would yeah. be that. That would be 
Solid Snake going to Shadow Moses it would yeah. be after that. Five years later. Mm. Yeah, I think he goes back years. into retirement. See, for this, for the second one, after the events of the first one, he goes into retirement and he's brought back out. And then, I think after this one, he goes back into retirement, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then... Just one last then job. Brought, yeah, basically, one yeah. last job. And uh, Yeah, I mean, he's kidnapped I, at the start of Metal Gear Solid. He's actually... You know, taken out of retirement Folks. against his will. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was he? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember? That. He's because he's um he basically in the you know all those uh the sequences that you can choose to watch or not in the that, that are like on a security videotape in the menus. It's Snake going. You know, why have you brought me here? Why have you? What have you injected me? And you've given me all this shit, and now you're telling me to go and do this crap. You know, it's all like that, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So, so at the end of two, is it you? Big boss is the final mm-hmm. boss you kill, but isn't it? Is it Grey Fox you do previously? That because there's like yeah. a double boss. You have, fight. A, you have a, yeah. a comical punch up with Grey Fox, which takes place in a tiny room uh, surrounded by mines. <laughs> which, uh, based on the video I watched, takes about seven or eight minutes of running around in circles, slapping each other. It looked absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So what happens is you, That's you after take Metal on Gear the D, by the way. improved Metal Gear. Yeah, absolutely. Where Still has in weak the first legs. game you have to <laughs> attack the feet with mines yeah, in the first game. In a sequence. In the second game you you throw grenades at the legs effectively. What, a, what an Achilles heel, throw grenades. Yeah, they really need to work on those legs <laughs> and the armor yeah. on those legs. I actually, I actually, it's one of the highlights of the first game was the, the sequence because the doctor uh, at that point tells you the and sequence. And he goes, oh, I forget after he, that. <laughs> yeah, he can't remember the last part. It's like literally so trial he, and error. There's, there's like an 18... Yeah. Like left, right, left, 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 right, right, yeah. left, left, right, and then the final. I can't remember the last one. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. That, it's brilliant, though. It's absolutely brilliant because, and, and again, I'm not. I'm not sure how it was in the original, but in the update, the screen flashes when you're damaging it, so yeah, you, you can work it out. Oh, and yeah. It comes down to hit and miss as to whether you've got enough uh, mines mm. to actually defeat it. So it, it really gets tense <laughs> if you get towards the end and you haven't killed it, and you're down to like five mines and thinking, "Do I have enough here?" You know. So anyway, yeah, so you kill Metal Gear at that point and then you, you fight Grey Fox. Punch up with Fox and then uh, Big Boss. The final fight is against Big Boss, your former... Well, you, you have the, yeah. the makeshift flamethrower. Yeah, lighter and yeah, aerosol absolutely. flamethrower. Um, and that, that's um, that's a bizarre sequence because you yeah. walk in there and Big Boss sort of taunts you um, about who you are and that you're always destined to be involved in war and, you know soldiers like the pair of you just aren't meant to do anything else yeah Which, i like that that's a really good speech because you, you, you're yeah. we're not meant for society we're meant yeah. for the battlefield and, this, and that's something yeah. that he says one of, he says one of us will be liberated from the battlefield and the mm. other one will just continue to be a soldier will live yeah. the rest of his life as a soldier this is the and theme which really a, recurs yeah, over exactly. and over. It leads it? into to the themes of Solid. That by the time you get to Metal Gear Solid Four, that's really what it's all about. It's about uh, the war economy and and the way soldiers are used and abused. And and Boss and Big Boss both are on the side of soldiers, and they want to liberate soldiers from the the governments who control them. Um, and so you start to get a sense of what Outer Heaven and what Zanzibar Land were all about. Um, and then what you have to do while he's chasing you around is run dodging some sulfuric acid pools from room to room collecting all yeah. the various cards you need to open the other doors it's literally run into a room grab a card that means you can get into another room to grab a card and there's six different cards you've got like to the do like the rest of the game in microcosm and uh yeah and, and yeah i mean that that we, we were talking about that puzzle just before we came on the uh the uh 
the description of the rations in the in the menu is excellent. They they they've all described as having a, a whole bunch of different stuff in, and only certain rations have the sugar in that's required to neutralise the acid. It's another yeah. sort of fantastic little puzzle. Um, other rations are used to lure rats as well, which is yeah, remarkable. With, um, um, but yes, after debating the pros and cons of war uh, with Big Boss, he does burn him alive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. I, I like the fact that he actually kills both of them, but they they you know they later on both return from Syria, don't they? So yeah, um, you know, but he, he actually blows them up. <laughs> but they obviously decide yeah. to not go with that cannon quite. Quite literally, and he's chased out the base base with Holly, um, and uh... yeah, there's a really weird bit here that so two things happen, and and I think as I play this, I'm going to enjoy the Metal Gear series uh, a lot more than I would have a few years ago. But there's two things that are going to be recurring here, and Paul, I think you'll know exactly what I mean. First of all, he meets Holly, and she says, "Finally, I can get out of this uh, outfit. It was really tight on my chest, <laughs> completely for no good reason. <laughs> Just why? It's not been there the whole rest of the game, and suddenly that line's dropped in. Um, and then immediately she says, "Here, you take this gun." And Snake says, "Yeah, it doesn't really look like the sort of thing a woman should be carrying." It's like, oh come yeah, on. Yeah, he's a bit of a slimeball in this game, actually. <laughs> Uh, it's and it's just out of the blue because in terms of characterization, it's all really done through the um, the uh, the transmitter uh, or the, the codec as it as it becomes, mm. um, and so you don't really get much of that exchange. So you don't get to see Snake's personality, and the two things that you do see are are those two comments at the end of the game. It's like, oh, really, Snake? Please, you're supposed to be the sh- soldier who cares not for. You know the the whimsical needs of um, of you know the average man, and uh, and yet he just does that. So yeah, the the whole sort of end is uh, is kind of after that you know, interesting speech with with Big Boss. Then it turns into a total hokey eighties action movie as they run away, and then he runs out of ammo on his infinite ammo gun that he suddenly got, and then a helicopter arrives in the nick of time just to shoot them all down, and Charlie lifts them off in his chopper, and they fly off into the sunset. Uh, yeah, but um, I suppose you know it kind of had to end like that. So yeah, we've uh, we talked a little about Snake's Revenge. Uh, obviously, there are ways of playing that. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's available officially on anything like Virtual Console, but certainly emulators are available. We're not going to stop anyone from doing something like that. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about some of the games that we're not going to be covering um, because they are either non-canon or we can't play them for one reason or another, or we don't have the time, or we just don't want to. What you don't have an engage. I don't have an N-Gage, no. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, are there any N-Gage emulators out there? Uh, so yes, I'm referring to Metal Gear Solid Mobile 2008 on the N-Gage. We won't be doing that one. Uh, similarly, we pr- has anyone played Metal Gear Solid Touch iOS 2009? I have, yes, strangely. And? Yeah, I've played that as well. Okay. It's just, a, it's just a, a shooter, it's like a, like a rogues gallery yeah. type of thing. Okay. Like Hogan's Alley, but with All right. Snake. All right. There was a lot of hype around it, and it and it turned out to be more just like touch the screen and shoot. Yeah, it wasn't very good at all, to be honest. No, it wasn't. Okay, we'll we'll definitely be skipping that. There are the uh, the probably the most interesting game that we're not going to cover, uh, debatable. But I would suggest that it's uh, Metal Gear Solid, uh, aka Ghost Babel. Uh, the Game Boy Color game from 2000. This actually possesses one of the highest game rankings uh, aggregated review scores of anything. 
It's uh, it's on like 95 point something percent. Um, now to look at it, to look at the screenshots, it looks like a sort of graphically less, even though it's from 10 years later, obviously it was on Nintendo's first color handheld. It looks like a graphically less uh, sophisticated Metal Gear 2. Now, I'm going to guess if anyone's played this, it's Paul. No, I haven't at all. I, oh. I own it, but for some reason, I, I haven't even played it. That's a shame. Uh, it's highly regarded. It, I don't think Kojima was on it at all, but it's very. It was very, very well reviewed at the time, and obviously, due to the nature of the hardware that it's on, I think it, it's probably not a million miles away from the games we've been talking about today. No. Uh, now, um, Metal Gear Acid and Acid 2 on the PSP, 2004 and 2005. Uh, these always look quite interesting to me. Obviously a very different experience. Anyone dabble in these? Yeah, I, did, I really didn't like them at all. So not a fan? I can't really, no, not in the slightest. Okay. Um, I, just, I like card-based games. Yeah, card games, yeah, as I understand yeah. it. It's like a strategy-type card game-type thing. Um no, I just, I just didn't, I didn't get that Metal Gear vibe from it. Basically, I've, I've heard people really enjoy it. Mm, the second one, that especially more into, yeah, they're more into maybe card-based games and stuff like that. But for me, it wasn't basically it wasn't Metal Gear. It wasn't what I come to Metal Gear for, basically. Sure. Uh, so that leaves uh, Metal Gear Online, two thousand and eight, uh, part of Metal Gear Solid Four package, and Metal Gear Arcade, which is simply Metal Gear Online in Japanese arcades with a few tweaks. Uh, did anyone spend any time? Logging in and logging out of, of Metal Gear Online to play Me- famous yes. for it. Yeah, there is, it was it was pretty terrible. And, well, Paul, you probably you tried as much as we did, but it, it was um, you had a code for the actual service itself. You had the Konami code, you had the PlayStation Network code, yeah. um, and all of them needed different passwords. You couldn't use the same password across individual accounts. Gigs and gigs of updates. Services were down, weren't they? Yeah, and if one service was down, then you couldn't yeah. look into the next yeah, service to actually right. get any access to it. Um, I think in concept, once you actually got in, it was it you know it was sound enough. It was fantastic. Um, it was a really was it because really enjoyable multiplayer game. The okay. game modes were really inventive. Did it work as a because obviously the thing about I know that Metal Gear Four has more sort of um, contemporary and sophisticated third person shooter controls mm-hmm. compared to the other games in the series, but it's still more of a you know it's all about the sneaking, isn't it? And how does that work in the online? Does it is it more of a shooter, or do you actually is it do you creep up on people like say Assassin's Creed Online or something like that? Yeah, the, the, from what I remember, there was lots of really inventive, different kind of game modes, and there would be ones where they were invisible and you weren't, and so you had to use like items in your inventory and stuff to try and to try and source them out. Um, it, it's not very easy to get into. But once you did, I played with Ali Mitchell, Soulstar, his name is on Twitter. He's a big, big fan of that. He was like in championships and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> He's one of the top players, and uh, he basically took me through it. And maybe, maybe that was very much to my advantage, you know. Can often help, um, can't it? it yeah, mm. very much so. And, and the way it would work as well, you were in the lobby, and it would just cycle through the games. You would vote for a certain mode, and I was, I was absolutely shocked at the, the sheer invention of it. Mm. Um, but it, it wasn't like a pick up and play like Call of Duty or Gears of War. Sure. You know, it was very difficult. It's very difficult just to aim and fire at first. Yeah. But once you get into it, you know, and then when you did get into playing it, it's all guys that have been on there for about two years. You know, Naturally. and you don't really stand much of a chance. But and just yes, it was very very good. I'm, I'm surprised. I think it was I think it was hamstrung basically by that ludicrously convoluted uh, sign up 
process. Yeah, huge amounts of updates to download as well, which are notoriously slow yeah, on I think it PSN. Just, they've just taken it down, isn't it? In the, in no, I, th I think it's still long. live for another couple yeah. of months. Uh, I think got it... DLC that's coming for free for everyone, and I think they're, ah. cutting it, uh, they're cutting it up in about June. Yeah. But I hope they replace it with something that perhaps is, it's easier to get into. You know, but it's still as fully featured as as the Metal Gear Online. Wasn't it um, at some point, if I remember rightly, meant to be its own unique thing, and then eventually got pulled into four because it was you know the protracted development of four was so long that I think if I remember there were two separate projects, and eventually it all just amalgamated into one. I think that's one. true. Um, I think that might be true. Yeah. Um, but yes, if, but if, if if listeners, if you want to play that, if you have a copy of Metal Gear Solid Four, uh, you better do it fast because it's it's going. It, it makes me wonder why they haven't done equivalent to what they've done with Killzone 3, which is just pull the online mode out onto PSN and it's on its own. And just I allow think because it's to... not as accessible. Well, I think with Killzone 3, there, there is a, you know, an aspect where you can point gun and shoot people, yeah. and, and the game modes that represent that. Um, it is a, you know, I think Assassin's Creed is probably the, the most similar thing you can compare it to now, mm. um, and that's not necessarily as pick up as players. You know, as, as, but I mean, that's no bad thing. If you're in, into that click, then that's great. But I remember when I first went there, when it was first launched, there was a lot of people just going in there for that shooter experience, which clearly it wasn't. Um, mm. So I probably got the bad end of that that game where you know didn't quite understand what's going on and people just messing around. I bet the people who loved it really loved it, and they're going to be really <laughs> upset when it gets switched off in a few months. But uh, yeah, all good things. Well, so, so so that's the ones we're not going to cover. Yeah. Um, oh, and I, I, sorry, I, I, and portable ops, which which I believe is officially canon. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's actually really good. It's it's a fantastic story. Like um, the San Jeronimo takeover, I think it was. It's actually really, really deep, and the, it's got fantastic kind of cutscenes. If I, if I can remember the name of the artist, which has just eluded me, Ashley Wood. Mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, it's, it's it's really really good, and it's got these interactive cutscenes that you saw in Peace Walker as well. Um, of of all the kind of canon games, yeah, it's most certainly the kind of least important, if you will. Mm. But um, no, it's, it's a very, very good game. I, I assume it's downloadable for Vita owners, is it? Is it on the well, store? I've not got <laughs> no, it. I, I, yeah, it must be. Uh, probably not for not very much money. Or if you still have a PSP kicking around, you can probably pick up the UMD very cheap, I would have thought. But I no longer have a PSP, which mm. is the main reason we won't be covering Portable Ops. <laughs> I wish they'd included it on the HD collection as they did with Peace Walker, because we will be covering that one. Well, it might be worth just a, if if Paul's going to be around, just a quick uh, sort of precy of those games in the Peace Walker uh, yeah. show. Absolutely, you know, because the two of them chronologically tie into each other. So yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right, Tony. Yes. So, so my question is, and I, I think I, well, I know the answer. How we're actually going to be covering them, you know, as they were probably released. But um, if if you do, you think there's any um, merit to actually going back to these games in order of story chronological telling or should they be experienced how they were released you know, one by one over the years um, as long as you end with 4 it, for me it doesn't matter um, if you end end the series with 4 and as long as you play Metal Gear Solid 3 <laughs> uh, it, it, but pretty much at the beginning because that's the story of you know uh, Big Boss that's where it all, all begins And so so what is the order though? 3 is first what is Metal Gear Solid yeah. 3 yeah. Metal Gear Solid 3 would be first that's in 60, about 65 I think uh, 64 yeah then Metal Gear 64. 1 uh, then Metal Gear 2 then Metal uh, Gear well, Solid oh, and Peace Walker comes in between oh the, of course yeah it's Peace Walker Peace yeah. Walker then yeah. Portable Ops Plus then 
Yeah, the, the MSX games. And yeah. then it would be Metal Gear Solid on PS1. Yeah. I think. So, yeah. And then, and then, and then Solid, Solid 2, 2 and then Solid 4. Yeah. yeah. As long as four is last, I, I, for me it doesn't matter. It would be a weird so way to tie in. It would be a weird way to yeah. play them, though, wouldn't it? To start with Metal Gear Solid Three and then end up back at the MSX games. I think that yeah. I, you know, there's a reason why we're doing them in order of release. Mm. I think it it makes more sense. But I do quite like the way that they put them chronologically on the title screen of the HD collection. The the three that are on yeah. there, that's quite cool. Um. I just wonder if there was any merit to actually going back there, but I think the stories are fairly confusing. Even if you were probably tracking them one by one, you'd be better off yeah. using the uh, the what's Metal Gear Solid Four dictionary, isn't it? Yeah, it's just what different like, encyclopedias. Like, yeah. yeah, different things in the in the franchise, the whole this whole story arc become evident at different times. I don't think it really matters at what point mm. you get them, mm. as long as you experience the the, the yeah. most important parts, which would be the uh, end of Metal Gear Solid Three and. All culminating in four because four is very important. You know that that um, almost relies on nostalgia to a certain mm. extent. The fact that you have played these games, and I don't think you could play four without having played the rest of them. So, so um, has there been any other franchise that we can think of that has jumped so much around in its timeline? You know, so, I mean, there's so many prequels essentially Star before Wars. four, which makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, including because okay. the 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 current one goes back like. A thousand years or something, doesn't it? Two thousand years, yeah. Just uh, the same, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm, off the top of my head, well, it depends if you include civilization, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and Final Fantasy is within its own universe. Yeah, they, they, they've never, they haven't got a time put to them. Um, for me, Resident Evil. The other, the other one that that clicks with me in that regard would be Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Just get lots of different characters, lots of different threats. Lots of different, you know, things happening, and then spanning the world for a long time. Yeah, very much so for me. And the timelines as well as when the virus broke out, when this happened, that dates right back to, you know, was it the fifties, the sixties, or something with the yeah. two twins from Code Veronica and yeah. stuff like that. So there's a, there's an official kind of date, uh, got a dateline, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Chrono- chronology. Yeah. On the website, and it's actually it makes for very good reading. So they've gone back and kind of retconned some some interesting. Uh, things back in the in the history, and it all it all kind of makes sense. A few things that are quite spotty, just like Metal Gear, you know, yeah. characters exploding and then being brought back by gene therapy and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, they they take liberties, but for me, that's it. The other one that I get into that I really enjoy and I mm. think does it quite well. That's fantasy for you. Uh, so uh, yeah, I guess to finally round up, uh, would that that question we sort of touched on earlier would each of us recommend playing metal gear one and two via either emulation or or your subsistence or hd collection over simply skipping them and going straight to well either ps1 generation solid or straight to last gen solids (laughs) yeah you know what i mean um paul Uh, i would recommend just playing three to be honest, I think a lot of the ideas and the themes uh, are addressed in all the other games that aren't the MSX games. I think people have a lot of difficulty with the save system and all mm-hmm. that uh, going way back. So, um, no, I would I would recommend listening to this podcast basically to get your fill of it and then go and play the other games. Cool, James. Um, I enjoyed it enough that I would say yes, but I, I guess I'll I'll defer to. Paul, uh, you're allowed to disagree as, with Paul. 
No, no, just not like in on as Twitter. much as he obviously <laughs> understands how the story um, fits together better than I. Yeah. I. I enjoyed them, and I would sum it up by saying that one of the moments we in in Metal Gear Two that we didn't talk about was um, Doctor uh, Madnar turns basically. He's a traitor. Yeah. And he hops on your back and starts strangling oh you from behind <laughs> yeah. as you run around a room and have to then use your RC rockets and shoot him in the back to get him off. Or you can drop mines, That I alone. Think. Sort of moments like that are just... Yeah. That's so fun. And it's something that I wouldn't have got uh, if I'd played the, these games a few years ago. But to play them now like this, it was worth wrestling a little bit with it. But on the other hand, you could watch the YouTube videos and they will take you... Like what? No, eight eight hours or something, hour, probably. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, actually, probably less than that. It's not going to take that long uh, if you really don't fancy playing it. Mm. But yeah, I mean, the themes and the the iterative notion of the narrative you're going to get from the solid games. Tony, it's a hard one for me. I mean, I, I'm proud that I sat there and, and I certainly completed the first one. Um, and got a good way in, into the second one, and you know that's something which is unusual. Whether everybody should do that, I, you know, I, I know I was probably a bit hard on um, Josh earlier. Him saying, "Oh no, I don't, I don't want to do that." I, I think you know I understand his his cautiousness about trying to tackle something like this this old. Um, but I, I think the YouTube comment. I don't think I've always well, I've, I've always believed, and I think this has proved the point. I don't think you get the same thing from watching somebody else play no. a game than rather experiencing yourself. Yeah. Um, I felt really quite empty watching the second half, the you know the final quarter of um, Metal Gear same Two, uh, rather than than playing it myself. And I think you know if you if you're following with this podcast, they're not long games. If you follow a guide, I, I would recommend everybody to follow a guide because it, it will lead to frustration. I think as games. I think they have some pretty major issues um, that you probably would have got over as a, you know, in your childhood. Um, you would have had more time and just concentrated, but I, I don't think it washes quite so good now. So if you're going to play them, use a guide, and I think there's merit there to actually still play them now. Um, whether you know it's for everybody, I, I think that's within your taste of games, but I, I think there's enough people that listen to Kane and Rince that would actually get a, a fair bit of a, a buzz from actually seeing where the story began. Um, and there's there's some unique moments which still to the you know I was laughing. There was moments I was actually still laughing out loud, which um, you know is I think is a trait probably of a good Metal Gear game. So yeah, I, I recommend them to a degree. Yeah, for me, I'm genuinely a bit gutted that I didn't get to play through the second half of the game, even though I've now watched it and some of it didn't look great. Uh, you know, tr- mm. tremendous fun that backtracking in particular. Uh, that's you know now I have watched it the idea that I would start from scratch and hope that I didn't come across that glitch or bug again uh, it's doubtful Um, but what I would say is that I really playing through the two games um, made me absolutely itch to play through Metal Gear Solid 1 again and uh, and and experience Snake Eater and Peace Walker for the first time and Metal Gear Solid 4 which I bought with my PS3 uh (laughs) <laughs> and still haven't played so I've had it for yeah three and a half years and still not played it which is absurd um, but for the reason that I didn't want to play it before I'd played some of the other games in the series so uh, yeah I think uh, it's it's commendable that they put those games on subsistence in the first place I think it's even more commendable that they've kept them on there um, on the HD collection as you know I like to think of myself as a bit of a games historian and I think it's important that people do understand 
not just how the Metal Gear series has evolved, but how video games have evolved and mm-hmm. um, appreciate kind of the lengths people used to have to go to to make games and to play them and now how how easy everything is which is you know better in a lot of ways but also it's something to be appreciated and not taken for granted the roundup then so uh we launched a new product is that the best a new way? organ a, a, it's uh... a new organ of the cane and rinse um project shall we say uh, and it was brought to us by um none other than the deserter that was uh <laughs> jay <quitter>. uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, he quit, and um, little to us did we know after he quit, he decided to, to do some investigation, and that investigation was that he'd like to uh, make an iPad mm. app. Um, <laughs> and, well, we're, we're calling it um, the Cane and Rinse Periodical, uh, and the idea is that it's a, a roundup of the, I won't say necessarily the best, but the roundup of content that we've had on the uh, website, uh, some of the podcasts, some of the quick rinses, some of the video content, all laid out in this uh, beautiful iPad app. Um, and unfortunately it is only on an iPad app but uh, you can get the PDF which can be viewed on many other devices with the PDF you can't I believe you can't watch the videos can you no um, you can't you can't play the, the built in content but obviously there are other yes. ways but um, yeah it's a digest it's a magazine effectively mm. It's. Um, I don't think it's come up on the iBook store just yet but it is waiting pending approval uh, I don't see that there'll be a problem with that uh, but currently I think you can only download it from com. Yes, but it, it is it, it's gorgeous to look at, and, and if you take it on the move, it's got all the stuff built in. You don't have to have a download connection, so you got the um, you know the quick rinses all built in there. You got the the podcast built in there, and it's it's just gonna it's gonna highlight a lot of the content we have going up on the website. If you if you don't have necessary time to sit there and watch it on the screen, you can actually just take it with yeah. you on the bus, you know, on the move, and there it is, you know, straight. You know, delivered to Perfect for the commuter. Well worth a look. Uh, tell yep. your your video game loving friends that may not um, take the time out to visit a blog or a forum or whatever. Um, and the mm. plan is in future we'll have some the periodical will have some exclusive content that isn't available on the blog, um, yep. or at least timed exclusive. You know, so it'll be on the magazine first. Um, yeah, it's exciting stuff. Um, I wish I had an iPad so, yeah, so well, I could look at it. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to thank Jay yeah. for quitting. Thanks, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, for quitting and coming back, and who knows what he's doing now. But um, you know, he's he's still, I think, still very much. A he's of like Obi Wan Kenobi. As... He's at his most powerful mm. when he's not here. You know, he does his best work when he's been chopped in half or something. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to sell it like this. But you really have to see it to to appreciate how gorgeous this thing looks. Um, I know, um, in particular, Josh's. Uh, Witcher 2 review just jumps out at you. You can play the videos and touch on the photo, you know, the, the screenshots, and they all jump out of the page. Just really shines, and so much content in there. And uh, presented, I mean, the website's beautiful anyway, but it's presented in such an easy to read format that uh, I think everyone should check it, check it out if they have an iPad and listen to Damn the right. show. Uh, so, forthcoming shows, we've still got some to be confirmed. I need to speak with Tony about that. Yeah, we'll be working uh, on that. <laughs> but we've definitely got Luigi's Mansion coming up, which I'm looking forward to. It's a great game. Yes. Uh, and obviously, we have Metal Gear Solid in a few weeks, uh, and hopefully Paul Rooney will be back for that one. Um, the All the stuff can be found on the com website, including the, the link at the moment to the iPad. Uh, yeah. We are part of the Character Select Network, as are Ready Up, where what Paul is from. Uh, come and join in the discussion at the forum characterselect.net slash forum to have that continuous conversation with us and instant replies you can follow us on Kane and Rinse on Twitter you can email us about things past present or future at kaneandrince at gmail.com 
tell Paul that you want him to return for the for the next episode of this. Would well, it be in about a month's time, wouldn't it? About four yeah, weeks time, four or five weeks. For Metal Gear. Um, you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Rinse. And as ever, your iTunes subscriptions are particularly welcome along with your reviews and ratings. So it's just for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony and James, as well as special guest Paul, who will hopefully you'll be back in a few weeks, Paul. I will do, yeah. Marvellous. Thanks very much for listening, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye.